And welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Generic Video Game Podcast. Brace yourselves for episode 13 as myself, Anthony, and Japanese pop culture icon Molly are about to fill your ears with audio bliss in relation to the world of gaming, awards shows, hot topics in the biz, and much, much more. I have bad news to tell you, but I have now switched to being a Korean pop culture icon. <laughs> I'm no longer a Japanese pop culture icon follower thingy. So, yes. I'll tell you about What? Girls' Generation and Oh My Girl and SES and HOT and all those kind of other. I, I used to actually know what was hip in the world of K pop up until maybe about 18 to 24 months ago. I left off with.、Uh... Well, did you mention Girls' Generation? Well, I was going to say, half the met girl, met girl groups I just mentioned probably don't even exist anymore. Oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, because、yeah. I, I, I knew most of them like so long ago. <laughs> hmm. Well, well, how have things been?、Uh, you know, to,、uh, to our listeners, it's probably by the time they hear this, it's going to be about 30 days removed from, from our previous upload, which is our DLC Pack 3 with、uh, Terry Wolfinger.、Uh, but for you and I in real time, it's been.、Uh, 60 days on the nose since our last recording. So, how things been? Okay, so I have to say, indeed. I mentioned SES, they are gone. I mentioned HOT, they are gone. Girls' Generation is still around, so I'm safe on that one. Oh, my girl, I think is one too. <laughs>、uh, yes, they were the ones who were just detained at LAX. So, that's why I knew them. Because LAX. Wait a minute, say, say that again, please. What happened? They were detained at Los、why? Angeles. Airport because the customs thought they were sex workers. Oh, come on. I'm serious. They got their immigration fine, but then customs, I guess, was like looking through their outfits and stuff. Right. And you have a bunch of these, I mean, not like young. Okay. So, like, one thing the youngest is 16, and the rest are like maybe like 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever. Right. But you have all these Asian girls coming together in a group. You have older men who aren't related to them in any way. As their managers, they're all coming in on, on just like visitor visas. And I guess just the whole thing just seemed totally suspicious. So they, they were certain that they were like sex workers.、Mm. Well, speaking of K pop, and there's no point to this, and I'm just going to throw this out there. It was interesting. There was, a, there was a girl I used to know who was Korean and from Korea, and she explained to me one day the, the whole the differences between the two main. Pop labels in South Korea and like what the initials stood for and how it was kind of two different groups initiated by different businessmen. But the, but the letters in the group labels stood for like the initials of each respective like businessman and all that kind of stuff was giving me the whole history of it. It was kind of interesting actually. Because don't they have what is it like S or M? What, what is it? It's,、uh, I, yeah, it's SM Entertainment, which is funny because I think SM was also,、um, I, I knew SM because of San Mei, I think is who it was. Mm. They were a Chinese label who was notorious for like pirating video game and anime soundtracks.、So、and like, then what? And then releasing it in their own in, well, in their country? Well, no, no, I mean, like, I mean, just they just like made straight pirate. Yeah. So not only in their own country, but like back in the day when I was first getting into anime and stuff, it was、um, pretty common that if you ordered a soundtrack and the company you ordered from either didn't know or didn't care. That you would get the SM version instead. So you,、oh. a lot of times you would get this you know, pirated、um, version of a, of a soundtrack and you didn't even know. 
Did it look authentic? You could... If you knew enough to know, you could tell. Because, like, the, the copy quality wouldn't be as good or... And I, I know you're going to have to know this because I you've ordered you've ordered import games before, right? Um, but like the the classic old, um, oh my god! Now, now I'm even like the, the the spine tags or whatever you used to call. Oh, them. the uh, spine cards. Spine cards. Yes, that yes, spine cards. So like you would, and God, like nobody knows what spine card is these days. Uh, if you typically, if you got the Japanese version of soundtrack, you always got a spine card. But right. if you got the San May version, you might or might not get it because that wasn't a, as big of a deal for them. So that was one of the ways to tell. I think it was more often not that you didn't get them. So if, Do you remember? So, keep going. No, I'm no, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you remember a site? Uh, I think it was like Japan CD Now or something like that. Yeah. Or C CD. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think I'd ordered for them, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they used to deal in toys and stuff a little bit as well, and I, I ordered some of that stuff, and I don't want to throw them under the bus. One, I don't, they probably don't even exist anymore. That's part one. Two, I, I, hopefully I'm not mixing up stories, but back on topic with the bootlegging aspect and you know distinguishing real copies from bootlegs, years ago I imported a legit copy of the Capcom versus SNK original soundtrack from Japan, and this one, I still have it. You know, I had the spine card. You could tell by the gloss, the paper is very high quality. And so I, so I was very familiar with the product, right? Mm-hmm. And then in my town, we had a local fighting game tournament. We had players come in from Seattle uh, and whatnot, local tournament. Uh, Ray put it together. And I remember one of the prizes distinctly being the CVS1 uh, soundtrack. And I want to say it was from Japan CD or CD Now, whatever it was called at the time. This is about 15 years ago. But I remember looking at the insert booklet and I could tell that the the finish, the gloss wasn't the same quality as to what I had. I dare say there was no spine card. But now that I'm getting the gears going with what you said, you know, I wonder by a long shot, here's the deal. One, simply put, could have just been a bootleg that was sold from the place. As simple as that. Mm-hmm. Or I wonder if this goes back to what you were saying about SM or those labels where they would just take the gaming soundtracks, pirate it, and maybe that stuff was floating around, and that's what I saw. Yeah, I mean... Because I said, I, I know I really saw this a lot in terms of um, video game and anime soundtracks. There was also, of course, the possibility of just regular Asian versions. Because what was really interesting is when I was living in Japan, and I don't know if they were supposed to do this, but so the Japanese version of, of CD would come out, and it would be $30. That's how much a CD album cost there. But the Asian version... Of that exact same album, it would be the exact same, except it would come with an extra insert with the lyrics in like Chinese as well, not just Japanese. And that would be sold in Asia for $20. So some stores that I went to would actually have the Asian version and the Japanese version side by side, and they would be selling them for that different price. So I know there are also Asia-specific versions, and I'm wondering if sometimes maybe those are lower quality, but... My first guess would be that it was a bootleg because had mm. bootlegs were rampant. Nobody really knew. I mean, this was like, you know, people were just getting into this hobby for the first time and stuff. And not a lot of people in America collected import soundtracks and stuff. And they just kind of wanted the soundtrack. They weren't, you know, looking for the authentic original or anything. I would assume you were like me, though, and that kind of stuff would bug the heck out of you always looking I for I actually the... didn't care, I think. I really? Think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember at what point it was that I really learned what was going on. 
But then I was kind of like, you know what? I just want the music. So I felt bad, but it was just way cheaper to get the bootleg. So I think I got the bootleg more often. Wow. Hmm. What type of an audio collection or import collection do you have? You still have a uh, oh, kind of a, you still got a pretty good grip? Or I don't you know, have clip? a lot. I mean, I think, because it was funny because the, I think one of the first times I really wanted to get music was for, funny enough, Zillion. Because there was the, for anyone who remembers Zillion, uh, came out as a two, two, actually two Sega Master System games. And are you familiar with Zillion at all? Uh, funny enough, I used to own it on Sega Master System. Okay. I was, I must have been six or seven. And I don't know why, but I always remember what, the name was Apple. Right. There's Apple, Champ, JJ, and Opa Opa. Oh, really? For, uh, from Fantasy Zone? And that's, that's the connection if you don't know. So Sega made their own version of Laser Tag, and it was called Zillion. And in order to promote these light guns, they made an anime. Mm. And then connected to the anime, they made games. And one of the characters was this little flying spaceship thing called Opa Opa, which they then took and put into a game Fantasy Zone. From, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, the order of how these went. So that's interesting. So technically, Opa Opa doesn't emanate originally from Fantasy Zone. It comes from the Zillion property. I think that's how I'm going to have to like check now. But I, I, my memory was that Opa Opa started as a zillion character. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm trying to think because maybe it was instead, maybe it was that Sega put him into zillion as kind of a cross promotional thing. But that's interesting. So one way or another, even if we're out of order, the Opa Opa was still in Zillion in some capacity. So, okay, yes. Okay, so I was wrong. So, because the um, the first Fantasy Zone came out in 1986, and then Zillion hit in 1987. So it might have been like the same kind of thing in terms of producing it all. Right. But he was kind of, at the time, I believe, a sort of Sega mascot. Or at least a mascot character kind of thing. And and so, yeah, he was in Fantasy Zone, but he was also then a part of, of Zillion as well. Hmm. So Zillion, like, I saw the movie and I loved the music from the movie. So that was one of the first times I really wanted an anime soundtrack. And then I ended up getting, like, Project Aiko and quite a bit of Oh My Goddess stuff. And then Tenchi Muyo and then some other things. I'm going to take advantage of this while you're mentioning that. Um, you're a big fan of Echo? Uh Yeah. Do you own Project Echo on video in any capacity right now at home? I own it on... I may or may not still have my VHS copy. I do have a Laserdisc copy. And I have a DVD copy. Oh, you do? And then I may or may not have a pirated HD version, but I don't... How did you how did you get the DVD version if you don't mind me asking? Uh the was it US Renditions version? When was this? And I I believe I got a fixed version at some point. So this was not recent though. No, no. This was oh. this was a number of years ago. Mm. Why why do you ask that? I was just being nosy. Is it hard to get or something? 
Uh, I mean, if you want me to shoot it straight, it, uh, I was just contemplating uh, writing a letter to the North Pole for you, but... Oh, no, 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 no. No, I yeah, I definitely do have it. It's... Um, okay. Because I, I believe it just got re-released like like just mere days ago or whatever. I saw it pop up online. Oh, really? But, yeah. Oh, look at this. Project Echo Collector Series. No, no, this is the one I have. This is from 2000... No, this is from 2002... Yeah, so mm. like that's the one I have. I don't. Yeah, I don't know of any newer one. I think at this point, though, if I got it again, I think I would just need to get like a Blu-ray version. Right. So I can't remember if I was like walking along the street and found a digital Blu-ray rip of it somewhere or not. <laughs> that might have happened. I don't know. Right. Um. But yeah. But yeah, I didn't mean to be rude and cut you off. So yeah, you were saying Zillion kind of sparked. The interest in music from the anime, and then there were other anime you just mentioned, and Aiko and other ones. This might be it. Discotech. I bet that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think they did the Robot Carnival one I probably got recently. Discotech has been doing some other stuff recently. Yeah, I don't know, but they must have picked up a whole bunch of old properties because they, they've been pumping them out like candy this fall. Yeah, Vampire Hunter D, uh, Robot Carnival, um, whatever that is. Super Dimension Century Orgus. Yeah, some of those names and some of that art when you see it, I haven't seen since, God, since yeah. 15, 20 years ago, looking around like the blockbuster videos and Hollywood video rental shops. So, yeah, I mean, like, I never really got super duper heavy into soundtracks, but I did have um, some. So, because I think, you know, it got to a certain point where you could then just find it online or then you could just buy it legally online and, you know, the whole scrounging up cds you know from various places that wasn't as fun anymore mm. but i think because um i because i started buying things when the first import shops were really cropping up here in the states and i know that nikaku animart was one that i went to and then, was it Gynax? Did, didn't they have, like, their own general products? I know store? that name. God, because it was a really crazy, awesome um, catalog that I got somehow. And I want to say it was... I want to say it was Gynax because they had... The like Otakuno video characters and stuff on the front, or or the the Daikon Bunny Girl was like the main character on the front there, and then the <laughs> artists had done like other anime characters in different ways. It's so weird, like it's so weird for me talking about this stuff because you know, like I'm curious to hear like how you got into anime, but like I got into anime back when you know anime wasn't like a thing, like there was no word anime, you know, it was Japanimation. If you knew any word of it. <laughs> and like really, really young in life, I, we had Showtime as one of our cable channels. And this was back when they were showing a lot of anime that had been dubbed in English and brought over. And the only thing you knew was that it was just a cartoon and you didn't know it was from Japan or anything. But we had like, you know, Shogun Warrior, Guy King and like all the other kind of stuff. And I always kind of knew it was different, but I didn't know how and didn't know why. And then... I saw 
the and I and tell me if you've seen this. Uh, was it Warriors of the Wind? Uh, it sounds familiar, the, but basically, I, it's it's a butchering of Nausicaa. No, I I did not. Or or Nausicaa, however you want to. Pronounce I don't it. I don't believe so. Yeah, so I saw that too, and that was like really really neat to me. But again, I still didn't know it was like Japanese stuff. But then I got into all this. I got into anime because of X Men. Weirdly enough, I'm not sure if I ever told you this story, but uh, so I was in junior high and. I knew somebody who really, really liked X-Men, and I thought they were totally cool. You're talking the Saturday morning cartoon or the comics? The comics, the comics. Okay. So I got into the comics, and then while looking for X-Men issues, I found a copy of this this black and white comic book called Xenon from, from Viz. And it was basically a Japanese comic I didn't know. And, you know, this was when, like, every single manga that came out over here was released in, like, American comic book size. You got like 30 pages a month. So it took forever right. to get any, any any kind of story going. Right. And so I got through that and, you know, I found that the Adam Warren Dirty Pear stuff and Apple Seed and all those kind of things. <clears throat> and so at that point, there was like, as I tell this boring story about anime, um, there was like US Renditions was doing a few releases I think they had like Gunbuster and stuff, a couple other things, and then Infamous Streamline was doing their releases. Everything was dubbed. They would change storylines, and you know, like Robotech came from three different animes merged into all one. So, like looking back in anime is weird for me because I got into it at a point where there was there was very little legitimacy to it, and you would just be sent tapes of anime by people. You know, it'd be six hours of stuff, and you had no idea what it was. <laughs> there was no subtitles. There was no English language at all. You just, like, watched it and hoped you understood what was going on. And there were these companies starting to crop up to kind of sell this stuff, and you could get these really crazy things from Japan, but, but few people knew about them or how to get them and stuff. So, like, there's a lot of, like, cloudiness in my my memory of these kind of things just because it there was nothing really set in stone at that point, and... The whole market was just learning even what to be in this country. Well, I'll say this because I know we've we've touched base on this in the past, and I know I've told my story. I don't want to bore the listeners with my end again. So what I'll do is I'll try to add some new wrinkles into this conversation on, on my end. So I'll rapid fire what I've discussed in the past in terms of having been into the style in the 80s, but not knowing it was Japan or from Japan and then having it solidified on the sci-fi channels festival of anime and then and then going from there. Now, some of the new wrinkles in this, which I might not have gotten into in the past, more in magazine and manga form. I remember uh, getting into An America, uh, even a little bit of protoculture addicts. And then... Uh, I know you and I have discussed this a million times in private, but I don't know if we've discussed it on air. Uh, and then in the mid-90s, I was so thrilled with Game On USA. Yeah. Now, this is... Uh, and we've, I, I know we've talked... magazine. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about Game Fan. You know, we've beat Game Fan into the ground like a, a, a dead horse. So we won't, once again, bore listeners with those tales. But I don't really think we've talked about Game On USA. And that was the sister publication at the time to An America. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially maybe a 70 to 90 page magazine. And the bulk of it was comprised of manga. Now in An America, it was 
stuff like, um, oh, uh, what was it? X, uh, you know, the, I remember that being in there forever. And then, but in the, in the game for, in game on, you had a uh, samurai showdown as well as street fighters, Kami comic. Mm-hmm. And I remember to me at the time, that was like the greatest thing in the world. Like a magazine that brought together anime, but not only anime, gaming specific, uh, uh, or manga, I should say, coinciding with 15 to 20 pages of import news. I thought, you know, outside of Game Fan and Next Gen, I thought it was, that was like the greatest niche magazine for me. The and content was way too low. Like, they really needed more, like, written content. Sure, in hindsight, content, exact, yeah. sure. In hindsight, and, and even at the time, you could see some of that, but... It was the greatest thing, but I was so sad after, well, I think it was seven issues mm-hmm. uh, and it was gone, but, yeah. um, but anyway, those type my, of my things. My first paying gig ever in this industry in terms of the writing side of things was for, for Game On USA <laughs> and they sent me my first check. That's right. This story we've told, okay, this yeah. part we've told. Yeah. Can it, I, can I be rude and ask what? Uh, at that time? Cause this is over 20 years ago. How much did you get paid per article in there? That's a good question. Like, because let me ask the, you this: you think was it more than fifty bucks or under fifty? Uh, I, you know, I'm curious now because, like, I know, like, I put the picture on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I have to go back and see if I actually have the full picture and like what the amount was because I was it. Oh, you know what? Keep talking. I'll find it because I know it, I know it's on Twitter. So it's real interesting, and for those listening and not familiar with this, if you have any old issues of maybe even Game Fan with uh, Game Cave Import Shop in the back, they would sometimes advertise for that publication, or you'd see it listed. And as a matter of fact, that's how I completed out my collection. The issue that I never saw on stands, but I got through the mail, was the cover with Cloud Strife riding the Chocobo with the primarily red background. Oh, cover. really? You don't have that one? Well, I do. Oh, you but, do. But but all of the other issues I got in town but the one for some reason that skipped and never made it on shelves in my town was that issue okay and i and i had to order that through the mail gotcha and uh oddly enough for a magazine that was only around about seven issues i think vf3 made the cover twice i think is it i know i know it did once because it was it pie was on the cover or was it sarah i think it was pie yeah and i almost want i almost wanted to say dural made it but i i'm my oh, maybe it was draw. Be. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was draw on that. Yeah. Pie. Maybe it was both. Um, no, like you know, like I really liked that magazine and I had a lot of hope for it. But yeah, I just it unfortunately, I think, um, I think Viz didn't really understand what to do with it, and it it wasn't the kind of thing. I mean, as much as I liked both Samurai Showdown and Cami, the 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 comics. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the kind of thing where people would buy that magazine just for reading the comics. Like you really needed to have a lot of extra content versus some other things like mix zine at a certain point and stuff where the, the comics were a much bigger draw for, right. for picking up an issue. Um, my review, and I believe this was a review of Kayo Yugekitai. Which was a sequel to Kyle's Flying Squadron. This was a, a oh. Saturn side-scrolling platformer with the little bunny girl, and I got paid a total of forty dollars for that. I was pretty close. Yeah. No kidding, huh? 
So that was that must have been exciting at the time, though, getting paid for doing something you loved and for something so unique. Yeah, no, that was definitely like I mean, that was like, oh my god, I get to play a game and right now they didn't send me the game; I had to buy the game myself. So I was actually like out money at the end of it. You know, they weren't even like giving me enough money to buy the game in the first place. Yeah, that's that's something that my brain, uh, you know, when you're a kid or you're younger and you look at all this, you're like. You're like, wow, they must get all these games sent to them for free and this and that. And I would assume a lot of that goes on at your major, major, you know, maybe you're like your IGNs or game spots, I would assume. Or EGMs. Or EGMs. Yes. Uh, is that still EGMnow.com? We'll put in a <laughs> yes. shameless plug there. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm spoiled because I get to play live stuff for free and I have to buy it. But how has uh, EGM been doing? I did see their new issues recent. Their new issue recently, if I could speak English, at Barnes and Noble. But uh, yeah, everything's still uh, going good there. You get, yeah, you- print print. We're doing some different stuff with, so it's a little more like kind of special issues and things like that. But so on the EGM side, our focus is more like online and digital, and then we also have the Walmart mm-hmm. stuff too. So oh, cool. Yeah. Now, before we uh, change gears out of the anime department, uh, I might as well throw this out there since we're on the topic. Uh, not to brag, but I did receive last month. I got the Miyazaki set. Oh, um, the big thing! I did. So uh, very nice, as one would expect. It is in that uh, Blu-ray book form. Each respective page, we'll call it, has the Blu-ray inserted. Now, was that, uh, was, that was that your first ability to get Princess Mononoke on Blu-ray in this country? Or no, that okay. that technically that came out. November of 2014 Wait. alongside yep no I yeah I promise you, you there was well, something I, wanna, I thought there was some one, I thought there was one of them that hadn't come out yet no everyone the only huh. thing on there that might be unique and I haven't watched it I think there's one extra blu-ray of um some like interview or something with Miyazaki that that they translated huh. or whatever weird but um but yeah the the <clears throat> excuse me the most recent Miyazaki films to hit outside of this collection were November of last year, which was Mononoke and then The Wind Rises. Uh, I did enjoy The Wind Rises. Uh, the only one I've watched from this set, uh, one that I hadn't seen before, I watched Porco Rosso. Hmm. Um, have you seen that? I have not seen that. I thought it was good. Uh, you know, I read a little bit of the background on that film and i think it was aimed more towards the middle-aged man and kind of for not to make it all about men but it was like for it's kind of like the businessman to sit down and enjoy nothing too over the top or crazy you know with some excitement but nothing too outlandish uh so it set a different pace uh also it had a lot of i think influence of miyazaki's own life and interest kind of in the main character Uh, i thought it was very good but speaking of plain, uh, influenced anime that he's done, I did like The Wind Rises uh, a bit more. That came mm. out last year. Obviously, that's much newer and 20 years later. Right. But, okay. uh, yeah. So, um, so the one I was thinking of was Spirited Away. And that just came out this June. So it was already out. But I knew that we were waiting for one of the big ones on Blu-ray in this country. And that's, what, that's, that's the one I was thinking of. I didn't really. I thought that had been out a while on Blu-ray. Not that I yeah. followed that one that closely. No. Now let me ask you this: I saw Spirited Away when it came out in theaters. So did I, and, and I loved it. Okay, 
And then a few years later, I got the DVD. So so even this this story's got to be close to a decade now old. And I got to tell you, I remember when I sat down, maybe I was having an off day or I just wasn't in the mood. You know, I watched that DVD and I didn't feel the same way I did when I saw that in theaters. I think. And, and maybe it was just me getting a little bit older or, you know, I'm not like dogging it, but like, but I don't know what it was. I, I remember I saw that in theaters and I was like, wow, this is great. So I sat home one day and I'm like, you know, I'm going to watch this. I haven't seen this since I, in the theater and I just didn't feel the same. So, I mean, there's there, there's kind of two levels to, I think, Studio Ghibli stuff. I think there's the more, like, lighthearted, um, uh, not as deep, and I don't say this in a bad way, but not as deep kind of movies. And those are, like, Kiki and Totoro mm-hmm. and Arietti and um, Castle in the Sky and things like that. And I think those are a lot easier just to sit down and watch again. But I think there's a few of his stuff. Um, I love Naushika, but I would definitely put Naushika in this, this category. There's like Naushika, I think Spirited Away is one. I think Princess Mononoke is one. Um, Hal, I I think kind of sits in the middle, which is why people don't like, like it as much. But I think those movies are just have so much depth and they're so uh, dense and complicated that I think it's harder to sit through them multiple times. I, w- I would, I would kind of liken it, uh, before you said what you're going to say, I, was, I would kind of yep. liken it to maybe, I'm trying to think of a good fantasy movie, but like, you know, me going to see Star Wars versus me going to see Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't ever want to sit through Lord of the Rings again. <laughs> Not because they were like terrible movies. I'm not. Mad. No, I'm. I'm. Hey, I don't want to get flack, but I'm more. I'm on. I'm on your side. Right, but that. I think they're just. There's like they're just so heavy, and there's just so much going on, and so much to keep track of, and so much to remember. I mean, it's like I can watch Die Hard again, and I've seen it 800 times already. You know, but I don't know necessarily. I'm going to sit down and watch like a drama that I enjoyed the first time, but maybe I don't want to see it again. So I think that's right. the problem with like what Spirited Away has. Maybe for you. Is that just there's so much to it that when you didn't know what was going to happen, it was far more interesting. But now that you do, there's just a lot to get through. Right. And I remember um, after that, a few years later, and I thought there were a lot of visual similarities. I don't want to sound like an idiot because you're going to see similarities with his work over the last 25 plus years. But I thought even more particularly with Spirit Away. And then you had, I believe, what was it? Howl's Moving Castle. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting for me to go back and watch that because I remember I had the DVD release of that and I watched that at home at the time and I enjoyed it, but I haven't seen it since. Now, the movie, and I I don't know if I've said this uh, on recording before, the movie at the time when I saw it in theaters, I left and I said, this is the, (laughs) I said, this is the greatest movie ever made was Princess Mononoke. Mm. A lot of people really, really liked that one. That one I saw in theaters too. Yeah. That one at the time, you know, here's the deal. Some of it I can see the argument you know, was a little bit long, and there was once again going back to what you're saying. There's a lot to it, but when that thing was all said and done, and I was probably around 18 ish at the time, I was like, "Wow!" Like you know, but um, um, have you seen Nashka? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I didn't see it. 
as far back as I should have. I saw it much later in life. I think the first time I saw Nausicaa was its first DVD release published by Disney in the early, almost mid two thousands. And then I have, and here's the nice thing I'll say. I have watched it again since then, as recent as within the last two years on the first Blu-ray release, and I really liked it. It's it's tough though. Like I mean, because I'm somebody who ended up reading the entire manga series, and this is like just like a small slice of that entire story. Mm. So I I do I can like I liked it, and then I read the manga, and then went back, and I then I really didn't like the anime because <laughs> you didn't get everything you didn't get all the, yeah uh, i'm just like man this is such a small tiny part of this big story and you're like missing out so much but now i can kind of appreciate it again but I, right. I think that like i think it's one of the harder ones to like for for the more casual fans if they don't know the full story of Nashka because it's just mm. like you're getting this tiny piece of this big story it's it's almost it's almost like if like go back to Lord of the rings which i don't like so i don't know why i keep going back to it but <laughs> It's like if you watch, let's say you watch the 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 three fourths of the first movie, and that's all you ever watch. Like that's how it feels. You're like you're, oh, not, you're only saying. missing the ending of that chapter, but then you're missing the entire rest of the continuation of the story to find out what happens. Right. Right. But, I think people can make that argument for Akira as well. I have you, never seen that. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta. I know. You should. You should watch a nice. You know. There's a. You can obviously get the HD version on iTunes or let me ask you this. If you ever got Akira on Blu-ray or whatever, would you watch it? Uh, not if somebody sent it to me, I wouldn't because they keep sending me things and they need to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> so, so I, well, here, now here's the thing. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to ruin this whole conversation. So we've had a great intellectual conversation talking about some of the greatest anime of all time. Recently, I've watched a few episodes of a brand new current anime out of Japan on Hulu. Hmm. <laughs> this is the point in the show where I not only lose respect, but wow. many of our listeners in terms of me. I was bored and I started watching Prison School. <laughs> oh, which one is this? What a doozy it is. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, it's It's... I don't. I don't even know how how to explain it on the show, but it's uh, it's very inappropriate. <laughs> it's very inappropriate, and um, it's for mature audiences only. That's what and, it looks like. Definitely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, but with the Hulu thing, I put this company over almost every show, so people are going to think we're sponsored by them, and we're not. You know, I got that Crunchyroll subscription. And I'm way behind. I'm as far behind on Crunchyroll as I am on my back catalog of gaming. So now I have a second hobby that I'm way out of the loop on. But I don't know what the deal is. But Hulu has been getting a ton of anime as well. Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, it's crazy. But it's funny because I was just looking. I was looking at the Ghibli stuff on Amazon, and I'm noticing like even like Amazon seems like they're boosting up their um, on Amazon Prime. They're boosting up their anime offerings. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. So, okay, I so I wanted to ask you, because um, I don't know prison school, so I can't make fun of you for it. Uh, if you went back and thought about anime, something like Akira, where you're like, this is quintessential anime, this is something everybody has to see, 
<laughs> like, what would be your top things to name? Oh, like an anime of all time for me? Yeah, I'm not necessarily like your favorite of all time, but, you know, if you're going to be into anime, these are like the things that you have to have seen. Uh, you know what? It's And it's kind of, when I say recent, because once again, where you and I are becoming fossils, you know, this, this movie's well over a decade old now. I, I've said it before. I, I got to mention it. I'm going to say Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Yeah, I was waiting for that. And I was going to tell you that I've never seen Vampire Hunter D. either. Bloodlust, uh, once again, for the millionth time, just because of the beauty of the animation. And it's it's kind of like the symphony of the night of anime, you know, especially because of the content and the look. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Akira's on that list. Um, I personally like Ghost in the Shell. I have seen that. Yeah. And... Why am I, you know, I, I always put Ghost in the Shell as like one of my favorite movies or one of my favorite anime, but at the same time, you know, that's one of those anime that can also be kind of complex. And I do like a lot of Mamoru Oshii stuff. Now, mind you, Mamoru Oshii is not the one that created Ghost in the Shell. That was Masamune Shiro, but Mamoru Oshii did the movie form. Right. And his take on movies is much, it's darker, a lot more serious, uh, arguably a lot more dry. But I do like a lot of his stuff. But, you know, I definitely put Ghost in the Shell on there. But You know, you you know, know what like, else like, I put like, on there? Wait, wait, before you go on, when you mentioned Dominion that. Dominion Tank Police. Um, the, yeah, okay. You, yeah. I, I don't know if I call that a classic, but sure. I, I think something a little different because of the humor. I like the look of it. You know what I mean? Not the... I, now, there was also the anime series. It was like maybe six episodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And from what I remember, I thought that was terrible. Yeah. But I like the one that they pitched as a movie, which is like two parts. But uh, what I was going to say was... And, I, I, uh, and if you don't mind me asking here, this is a little bit off topic, not to be rude. How is my sound quality right now? Um, You definitely have dropped in terms of Skype. Okay, you're good now. Well, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're not hearing me. Okay. Okay. I can hear you now, but uh, our individual feeds should uh, turn out okay, you think? Yeah, that's fine. But uh, yeah, I think because I think I was trying to like ask you a question and I think you weren't hearing me at all. So I think there was definitely a, a momentary uh, problems okay. with with the Skype call. Okay. Because yeah, your, your quality went down for me quite a bit. No, because I was going to ask you because you were mentioning um, the, the Oshishiro thing. Uh, it's interesting in anime how like... You'll have times when the manga and anime are so different because you have two different artists like kind of heading up each or even another good example I was going to say was like um, Revolutionary Girl Utena where the TV series and the manga and then the movie were kind of I think all handled by different people and they had quite different takes on those characters because the and I'm, I'm not going to try to name because I, I forget these so easily. But the director who handled the movie considered Utena and Anthony Anth, Anthe to be a couple, whereas the artist that was hitting up the manga, I think, didn't like that idea of them being a couple. Oh, so, so, it's, so it's, it's it's interesting in anime how the you know I guess i mean i guess you could say do we have that in the west too because like if you write a novel and they do a movie form 
that director kind of has different control over it, don't they? Hmm. I guess just for some reason, like, my mind finds it weirder for that to happen in anime. Because you would think the same person could handle kind of, like, all those different things. Right. But, yeah, just something I kind of thought was interesting. But I, th- I guess the more I think about it, that it happens in Western stuff, too. And, and <clears throat> before I forget, I have to get this out because I'm going to forget my train of thought. This is very pervy. Uh, but I, I honestly, I have to throw this one out there and I have to give a shout out to Neil for forcing me to watch this, uh, several years ago. And this was covered in game fan back in the day. Are you going to, I got to tell you, mention, I'd be a liar um, if I didn't tell you when I watched this, I didn't laugh. Are you, are you going to mention, uh, uh, oh God, now I'm totally forgetting it, but go ahead, go ahead and mention it. But I, I think I know what you might be mentioning. Golden boy. Okay. Yeah. That was one of my two options. Did you, did you like that one? I kind of did actually. It was a f- at the time of my watching it, it was just a fun, silly, like you're saying, pervy kind of series. Now, now, mind you, it's kind of interesting because even though it was suggested to me by someone else, my experience I realized was different a bit from the other person because when I watched it, I watched the subtitled version. Ah. And I still thought it was hilarious, laughing off the couch. But it's funny because I went back and watched some of the English dub. And it was weird because obviously, even though I'm a native English speaker, I got to tell you, I like the uh, uh, subtitled one better. Really? Yeah, I don't know what. Maybe it's just because it's how I experienced it at first, but, and especially with the detail of the translation, like the detail I got from reading it versus how it came out with the actual voice acting, like you know, maybe cutting some words out or certain mm. explanations to fit. I thought that I I enjoyed the subtitled version. And welcome back once again. It is now take three of the Generic Video Game Podcast, episode 13, coming back at you spliced and diced. Problems galore uh, tonight with this Yeah, d- down but not out. It's the three knockdown rule. We've gotten up twice. <laughs> Which I, I, guess, like, I, I guess I'll tell you, because like, just thinking about this stuff, um, there was this Twitter, like it's not a feed, like a Twitter thread I was reading recently. That led to this Google Answers thing, and so, so I just like this is this is just such a great example of the world we live in now. Somebody had bought a Samsung refrigerator that had like an integrated LCD screen or something like that, <laughs> and so one of the things they had on their refrigerator was was uh, Google Calendar. Wow! It's so, like syncing all their all their calendar stuff, and so this guy was saying that his wife relied on the google calendar on their refrigerator and all of a sudden it wasn't syncing anymore and he was trying to figure out why and so he he contacted samsung support and the first question they asked him was if he had restarted his refrigerator and i'm just like is this really the world we that live doesn't in? even that sounds like a comedy yeah bit. like i like well, did you reboot your fridge? Like, is that seriously the world we live in? Wow. And then the wow. next thing I'm like, okay, just do, do, do this. Go in back and unplug your fridge for like 15 seconds and then plug it back in. And oh. I just... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Talk about instant gratification, but. Uh, but let's talk, kind let's, of re- let's, let's talk games. Okay, so we'll, we'll wrap. We'll finish up the anime talk down the down the line. That's uh, that's with the power of editing. So, want to apologize to fans there, and also thank them for hanging in there with us. 
as we trek along here on episode 13, we're probably about a good 45 That's minutes That's why, because we're cursed. It's episode 13. It... <laughs> Jeez, we didn't think about it. There has been a lot that's gone on in the world of gaming uh, in the last 60 days. Uh, I'll just give a quick overview. It doesn't mean we're going to get to everything. But just to put this into perspective, we've had everything from um, not only the Thanksgiving holiday itself, but we've now gone past Black Friday. We've had the video game awards that took place on all major gaming sites and Twitch-like feeds. We've had the 2015 PlayStation Experience, which is now in uh, the history books. We've had controversies such as the butt slap taken away from the upcoming Street Fighter V, as well as uh, North Americans not being able to partake in the upcoming Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball 3. Uh, a little bit of uh, controversy with PlayAsia.com. Uh, so there's been a, a wide gamut of things going on. So I don't know where you want to start in particular. Wherever but you want. Certain, Let me know. Uh, let's see. Uh, we can kind of... Oh, and, and then out of... Not out of nowhere. We knew it was coming. But finally, uh, Yakuza 5 coming digitally mm. to PlayStation 3 recently. But uh, let's see here. Let's go back. We'll, we'll start with something uh, a little bit random. I had some notes. To, this is actually, these are notes from Halloween. Mm. And around that time, I'd seen the, uh, it's now two months old, but did you check out the Near Automata trailer? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. I don't, I don't want to uh, give it overhype, but I thought it looked awesome. I this is um uh, this is so tough for me because it looks I mean it looks great and I am excited and I I I like platinum action games when they have female lead characters because for some reason their male ones seem to suck for some reason I don't know why um <clears throat> Red Metal Gear Vengeance uh, oh so I'm very excited by that but this is a weird situation because like the first year was such a cult classic and it was this very specific thing and this game's gonna be so different than what that game was that it's just like it's almost like if that deadly premonition 2 got announced you know and then it was gonna be a totally different company doing it and it's gonna be a corridor first person shooter game Mm. you know like I feel like the reason that the first game got so popular among the people it did is kind of being lost. And it's going to be a great game, but it's not really, like, near two, you know? Yeah, maybe I'm looking at it through different eyes because, you know, I, I don't own the original Nier. I've heard a lot about it, so I don't have that firsthand experience. So maybe it's a little bit unfair uh, in a sense that you know you're <clears throat> you're much more knowledgeable on it or have that firsthand experience for it. Well, some I mean I didn't I didn't get like they didn't even get like halfway through the game. I played like mm. a decent chunk, but you know there's still a lot. That I just know from talking to other people, kind of like what they liked about it. Right. You know, every time we talk about platinum, this this comes up almost every time. So I know it's a bit redundant, but I mean this in a good way. But would you not say that the action in the game looked very much like Bayonetta? Yeah, which is why I'm excited. 
<laughs> and then also, I, I think I may have stolen this term from the video I saw, so these aren't really my words. It's in my notes. But, you know, there was also a piece shown of the action sequence that looked like a three-dimensional bullet hell sequence, you know, so kind of something you'd see in a bullet hell shooter, but mm-hmm. it was obviously in a third-person action-adventure game. Uh, I just thought the overall visual quality and the art direction was very high. I think that's what caught me by surprise. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but what I saw was, a, let's put it this way. For the Platinum games coming out, uh, oddly, now near is kind of like the one I might be looking forward to most. Oh, yeah, easily. Like, I mean, no offense to it, but I I just have no excitement whatsoever for Scalebound at this point. Uh... I guess I guess I guess I don't yeah. I don't know why to be excited. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to get surprised, like when the full game hits, and I am excited for. But I think the reason why there may be a little bit less excitement is I don't know that main character seems like it's it's really trying to appeal to the West. Mm. It, it gives me a little bit of a Guardians of the. Well, this is so bad. I'm gonna get flack for this. What's the main character in Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, Star-Lord? Yeah, so maybe a little bit of a Star-Lord. It kind of reminds me a bit of a Star-Lord type attitude mixed in with um, an overall character design look, a bit of the ninja theory version of Dante. No, he de- he definitely looks like, yeah, I am I am Mr. Made for English speakers guy. So. Right. So... But yeah, Near Automata looks looks really good. That was on the notes. I wanted to briefly discuss that. Um, I had a VR note here, but it's it's kind of nonsense to mention because PlayStation Experience had a whole section dedicated to VR. I was going to mention how Tekken 7 is confirmed for PlayStation 4 VR. Not that that really tickled my fancy, but it was news at the time. Res. Okay, so fast forwarding, yeah. So I mean, that's exciting. I love Res jumping around here. PlayStation Experience. Uh, one of the exciting titles is Res. I think Infinite. Uh, yes. And now you have a vibrating bodysuit. So your entire body. Oh, I thought that was a joke. Was that no? Legit? That was a really serious thing. Oh wow. Yeah, because people, um, like Chris Kohler from Wired got to try it, and some other people got to try it. So. Really. Yep. Well, you know, let's go backwards. I said we were going to go in order, so let's go in reverse. So uh, we've got PlayStation Experience took place about six days ago as of this recording. And uh, I watched it on Twitch, on the PlayStation channel on Twitch. And it emanated from San Francisco, the headquarters of Sony Computer Entertainment of America. Mm -hmm. And the show opened up with uh, an exciting video about four or five minutes of Uncharted 4. Uh, I will admit, while my interest in Uncharted 4, I had interest, but I wasn't losing sleep over it. I will say I thought what they showed was very impressive. And uh, more specifically, the curveball they threw, and what are your thoughts on this? On the... Is uh, go, go, go ahead, go ahead. The choices and yes. decision-making bubble. What does that mean? Uh, maybe it means that Uncharted 4 is going to compete with Fallout 4 and be a... Several hundred hour no, quest. No, that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, yeah, you get to like have dating sim stuff in there, and <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, it's it's interesting. Like, is is because you know, like, remember when Gears of War came out, um, and then like every game had a cover system, <laughs> right? Right. Like, I I wonder if just now, like, player 
choice is just going to be something we just expect from games. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have a lot of opinions on all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, that's kind of the... Because I, I guess I think I think that, like... Okay, because really, I, I, I don't care about choice in Uncharted, right? But if I was thinking about why I would put choice in Uncharted, I think that... And it's funny, because I think this is where Western games started, was the idea that the player made their characters. Because you go back in time, you go to back to, like... You know all these all these RPGs on the, on the computer, as opposed to like Japanese RPGs on consoles, where you had very strictly designed characters. The Western counterparts, you always made your party. You know, you name right. them, you design like how they looked. If you had those kind of options, you design like what kind of you know character they were, what class and stuff. So we've kind of gotten back to that a little bit in 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 a mixed way. With things like Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and especially the new Fallout, you see much more of um, a kind of in-between, because from my understanding, I'm not a Fallout person, this is the first Fallout ever to come out where it's voice acted. So it, it feels more like Western games now need to be this kind of... There is some level of creation to the character but there's also some sort of player choice and player agency level to it so my thinking is you take a game like uncharted 4 and even though you're not obviously not going to make these big big choices throughout the game if you maybe get a little more control over uh how nate reacts to things or what he does in a certain situation then that gives you maybe a deeper connection to him and you care more about him as a character because you have some sort, even if just a small way, say over like who he is and what he's doing. And would you say it's safe to say when I saw that, I thought to myself realistically, the different pathways or how his responses may add up to maybe one of several different endings realistically? Right. It could be that yeah. or it could just be a very simple thing like let's say you're going into a temple um, maybe do you go in the the high route where you have to fight a bunch of soldiers and stuff, or do you go the low route where it's more puzzle solving? You know, I guess I, guess I just I kind of wonder is like, do games now have to offer that to some level, even if small, to make players kind of happy? Right, right. Jumping on that bandwagon, capturing people's interest right now while all that stuff is hot. Because I mean, I mean, because oh. I mean, we were just talking about platinum. Like, in, in I could totally, I could totally see, even if it was no other difference in one line, like, why not give Bayonetta, whenever you're giving her, like, she's gonna have, like a smarty comeback, smart comeback about something, <laughs> like you have the chance to pick what her comeback is, you know. Oh, I like, I could totally see that happening. And it, looking for ways to ruin one of my favorite games in the last 15 years. I know, it's weird. Because, like, I don't I don't want that in Bayonetta per se, but I can... I don't hate the idea and I understand why you do it if you do it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Japanese games have been doing that for a long time. It's just the differences in Japanese games, like, they never actually want the player to have that choice. Right. It's all just, like, perception-wise. It's like, they, they mm -hmm. want you to think you have choice, but in the end, like all the choices lead to the exact same conclusion and, and sometimes the game won't even let you pick certain choices. Or, or, or where it will ask you the same question over and over until you give it the answer it wants. No, I mean, I, I keep bringing this up, <laughs> up, up over and over again. 
Um, but I always pick uh, mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Nine. There was a certain question I got to in that game, where it was yes and no answer, and the game would not let me say no. I, I, and I, no was legitimately what I wanted to answer, and I tried to. And it's like, are you sure? And then I kept saying no, and it, it, I could not progress in the game until I said yes. And that made me furious because my, my reaction was like, why even give me that choice if there is right. no choice to be made? Right. Now, now, let me ask you this. So before we move on from Uncharted, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you like what you saw or how's your excitement? You've been in on the beta? Um, I am not in the beta. I I actually weirdly like Uncharted's multiplayer. So I'm very curious to see how Uncharted 4 is going to turn out. Um, 3, I know like, I think most people say 3 was a better one, but I actually liked Uncharted 2 on a multiplayer level more than the third game. So I'm kind of curious to see where they take it the fourth time around. But... I did really, really love the multiplayer in Last of Us, so I'm kind of curious to see like what influence that might uh, get into Uncharted. I don't know, like I, Uncharted one is one of those games that I know I'm going to play anyway, so I don't right. pay a lot of attention to it. It's kind of like Dark Souls Three is coming, right? I know I'm going to play it, so I really at this point I don't need to see anything about it. I don't need to read anything about it. Right, it's a shoe and it's a lock. I don't need to play, play betas, yeah, yeah, or anything like that. I don't. That doesn't matter to me. So. <laughs> They could be showing whatever they want for Uncharted at this point. I, I don't really care. I know I'm going to play it at some point anyway. Now, let me ask you this before before we move on to other titles shown at PlayStation Experience. Do you think people were reading into too much of uh, one of the hosts, Sean Layden of uh, Sony Computer Entertainment America, oh, wearing a Crash Bandicoot shirt? I, uh, further, yeah. Go ahead. No, go okay, ahead. Go so ahead. Let, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Furthermore, am I out of line? While I enjoyed Crash for what it was at the time, and I understood its place in history for the mascot aspect. I mean, look, uh, I'm a big Mario fan for its for its gameplay. I'm a big Sonic fan for its cool factor and and level design. But I, I mean, look, I'm not trying to dish out haterade, but. I mean, do we really want Crash to come back? I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I don't know why people care. Like, I have no concept of understanding why people want a new Crash. Like, it was great at the time, sure. At this point, you know what? Naughty Dog is doing way better games. There is no reason for him to ever go back to Crash again. Like, yeah, I, and the thing, I don't and get the it. thing is. Yeah, and the thing is, is the memories, like, obviously there was Crash 1 through 3. Those were the most notable entries. Then they did Crash Team Racing. But then I couldn't even tell you, you know, then that license went elsewhere and got juggled around, you know, kind of tarnishing the, te- the Crash series, you know, to to an extent. Uh, I'll throw a pot shot here, not as bad as what's happened to Sonic. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I associate Crash with PS1 once again. It yep. had its spot, but I don't, I don't associate Crash as, like, you know, Sonic or Mario. No, and I mean, look, look, the the games were awesome on the PS1. They were doing things you didn't know the PS1 could do. Absolutely. Crash Team Racing, fantastic game. Like, even though it was a, just a total Mario clone, like, it was really, really good. So, like, nothing against those games, but just I don't know why we want Crash in our modern world and why it would matter. <laughs> You know? I, no, I agree. Now, were you surprised to see as much as they had shown of the Final Fantasy remake at the show? Final Fantasy VII. Yes, I was not expecting gameplay whatsoever. 
Now, and I don't think this is bad, uh, because actually one of the warning members discussed this on his Twitter feed, that being Casey Lowe, Snow Jew, uh, discussing how he was actually happy that it's going to be episodic. Mm. And and you're familiar with that, correct? Yeah, yeah. Because that's probably the only, a couple of reasons. One, they can get more of the game out sooner than later. And even though it's going to be in chunks, while that may not be the the mentally the best way one would want to experience it financially for the creation of those towns the amount of detail and the experience that people want by doing it episodically you can get money coming in as well as spreading it out over time instead of either one having the fans wait god knows how long and then two maybe not fully realizing that world to its fullest capacity without the appropriate amount of funds yep i agree with all that what did you think of it well i and I also I was, think too, like, I think I'm having a much easier time getting through the game if it's all episodic. Mm. What do you think visually? Because as we know, graphics are everything in gaming. Yes. Um. Yeah, no, it looks good. I mean, like, I, I it looks like I expected it to look. Yeah. Uh, cloud looks a little bit strange. Really? Because if you... If you well, look, I think he... Yeah, keep going. I'm going to say, if you look at the comparison, because I'm going to do a comparison shot of like him in this versus him in the Dissidia arcade game versus him in Advent Children and stuff. Okay. Like, he's typically had like this kind of Japanese pretty boy look, and I think he's lost a little bit of that in this game, oh. and I was surprised by that. Um, I was disappointed that we didn't get to see Tifa, even like a, a tease or anything. Because we kind of already seen mm. Barrett, we kind of already seen Cloud, so I thought that she'd be the next tease, but we didn't get her... Um, yeah, no, I think it looks really good. I, I just, I'm not a Final Fantasy VII person at this point, you know? Mm. Like, I, I know there's a lot of people who that is their Final Fantasy, but there are the rumors going around for a while now that Square is working on a remastering, not a remake, but a remastering of Final Fantasy twelve. and... That's, a, that's exciting. I'm way more excited about that than I am this. Hmm. Because that has the characters I really cared about and the the mm. world I really liked and stuff. So, well, and hey, Final Fantasy Thirteen is now on Steam. It sure is. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm I have to say this, especially being on a gaming podcast. I have to be honest. You know, I, I really like some of the character design and some of the look so of Final Fantasy I. Thirteen. I did. And I put a pretty good chunk amount of time into that, and I'm, I understand the purpose of an RPG and how it's supposed to be sprawling, and how there's supposed to be a level of depth. So, I understand that's what that genre is supposed to bring forth—that exploration. But I'm also going to go against the grain a little bit, and I'd also be a liar if I didn't tell you. You know, I kind of like some of that pace of how Final Fantasy Thirteen moved along. I know people make jokes because when they make the map or you get a piece of paper, you just draw a straight line <laughs> and people made fun of it. Or, you know, there's like one fork in the road and then obviously it opens up like 20, 25 hours into the game towards the end. But, you know, there was a little piece of me. I'm a guilty pleasure. I kind of liked that each time I played that game, I felt like I made progress. Hmm. Now, I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that Final Fantasy 13 is the greatest Final Fantasy they'd ever hit or, you know, everybody's wrong. But, you know, there were certain aspects to that I did appreciate. But I, I think, I think for me, it's just like, I mean, this feels like the 
the biggest push of of main female character Square Enix has ever done. Which one are we talking about? Just Final Fantasy Thirteen with, with, with <clears throat> right, Light. Okay, and, you know, having <clears throat> right. having two games with her as the main character, and then another game with like her as a background important character and stuff. Um, I just felt I felt like she was just so like milk toast, you know, like that. There was so many cool things you could do with a character like Lightning, and I just, because I mean, I guess like I didn't play much of each of the games, but I played the most of Lightning Returns, and this is the third game. She's supposed to be the super badass, and she still just feels like this kind of, um, like underpowered girl. You know, she mm. just feels so like Japanese developed. And I'm going back to two things I have to say. One, and correct me if I'm way off base. Didn't she kind of just remind you of a female uh, Cloud? Well, yes, but not... I I guess, I don't know, because Cloud was... But what I find amazing about that, this is what I find amazing. It's amazing how FF7 is so, like, fondly remembered and people love Cloud. And I think Cloud's a cool character. And then you get, like, a female rendition of that in 13, and then, like, everyone craps on her. But to be fair, like, I think if you really look at Cloud, like, he was a pretty terrible character as well. It's, you think it's more everything, every, the Final Fantasy VII as a whole? I certainly think a lot of it's nostalgia as well. Oh, it's absolutely nostalgia. But I mean, I I think just like, I don't know, like, what what is Cloud's personality, you know? Like, other than he's a quiet guy who is Kind of like broody, emo? Yeah, emo, broody guy who just cuts <laughs> people with a big sword. I mean, like, what, he's not really that cool of a character on a, on a personal mm. level. I think if you watch like Advent Children, he's way more interesting than Advent Children. But in yeah, terms of Final Fantasy VII yeah. itself, he was not interesting. Hmm. And I, I, I kind of just felt like, you know, you know what? And I hate saying this. But I, I think Lightning to me feels like the waifu. You know, if you think about what the waifu character is, for anybody who knows, you know, the whole waifu thing. Like the the female character made to appeal to to guys, to be like, oh, you know, I want to have first my lover, or my wife, like or, nerdy, like nerdy, yeah, guys. my girlfriend yeah. or whatever. Like that's what she felt like to me. She did not feel like a like. If you have you watched the new Batman versus Superman trailer, you know what? I have not. Okay. Can you can you believe it? Well, I'm gonna spoil it for you here for a second. Uh, Go right ahead. Wonder Woman shows up in the, in the trailer. Oh, really? Yes. And really, I kind of feel like in the in the like five seconds of Wonder Woman I got in that trailer that she came off as being way more badass than like Lightning did in the entire time I played of Lightning Returns. Hmm. You know, like that. That's kind of like I just I never felt like she was a badass. I never felt like she was this kick ass, strong female character. I just felt like this is a female character designed specifically for for otaku guys to to like you mm. know versus like if you go back to final fantasy 6 you had tara um slash tina and then you had celez two really strong really interesting female characters that led that game and then you get the biggest push square enix has made for a female main character and then lightning is just this complete dud to me hmm. but they said to be fair i have not played 13 at all the first one and right. I have not played beyond, like, I'd say six or seven hours of Lightning Returns. Mm. So. Well, well, nonetheless, there's, it seems like in the, in the future there's going to be some sort of Final Fantasy for everybody. 
Um, you know, I'm still hoping on that 12 remaster as you are. And then yep. we got FF7 remake. Yep. Uh, FF7 PC version yes. now available on PlayStation if 4. If for some reason you want that. If, yep. You don't, trust me, you don't. You know, I, I, if you want to get that, just get the get the PS1 version. You know. Yeah, I haven't downloaded the PS4 yeah. one. It was, yeah, I almost got up on that hype bandwagon, but I, I didn't do it. Um, and then we had uh, I don't want to just go through this blow by blow, but actually it's kind of interesting. We we can tie this into another topic we wanted to discuss. We'll kill two birds with one stone. So let's talk Street Fighter Five, mm. PlayStation experience, and then we'll kind of reverse from there. A new Chinese character. Fang. Mm. Fang. F A N G. That's F period, A period, N period, G period. No. It's not. Uh, what? Why is it I thought I saw that? There is no final period. <laughs> it is G by itself, no period. I know this because I was writing a story on him. I had to check to make sure. So yes, it's F period, A period, N period, G. I stand corrected. Yes. And with this being a Japanese title, I eagerly anticipate finding out what that stands for. I can only imagine. Yes, fighting a new generation. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I don't. I don't like him. I don't like him. So I've got a few. Certainly, or would a freaking weird character. He feels like I think the problem is he feels like um dark stalkers to me. Okay, so it's really it's very funny you say that. So my initial reaction I thought it was very dark stalkers. Right? So we we agree on that. Mm-hmm. But I saw this on the internet and I'm not an expert, so I'm stealing this from the internet. This didn't come from my brain, but when I read this and then I thought about kind of the way the animation was or the kind of the unique movements of the character. Someone alleges that Fong is kind of a spoof or play on the MK characters. Mortal Kombat? Yeah. You think so? So I don't know. Well, I think it, I'm assuming that might come more from a, like, obviously no one is, like, I'm not, when I say gameplay, I don't mean, like, people have already tested it and know this firsthand, mm-hmm. but, like, I think it might have something to do with the odd movements or some of the maneuvers that were shown. Uh, also, because I would almost, like, I, I, I almost, almost, I almost uh, wonder, and I maybe I'm reading way too much into this. Maybe I'm completely wrong on all this. You know, maybe that's like their spoof of what Dan is to SNK characters. Maybe that's what Fong is to MK. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say MK if I was going to anything. I'd feel like Ark, like he. Oh, kind of in a weird way. Could it remind me of like a Guilty Gear character. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because it's so, yeah, visually it's such such an odd, freaky character. Or Blades Blue too. Yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. Like I mean, and I know people say, well, you know, you have Dalzim, you have Blanca, stuff like that. So he's not totally out there, but just something about him just does not feel like Street Fighter to me. I don't know. Who's uh, who's weirder? And I don't. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, the one that says uh, it's time to get oily. Oh, uh, Hakan. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I I think Hakan. Like, if you look at him as a character design, I think I think he totally fits in Street Fighter. Yeah. I think I think Fawn <laughs> for some reason just does not fit. Isn't it also funny that that's the only one that didn't leak? 
Yeah, I mean, we we <laughs> you know we knew we knew a, a character named Fawn was kind of we thought it was like F A N. We didn't know it was G, and we didn't know like what he looked like or anything, or that he was Shadow Lou and stuff. So. Right. And then the other thing they announced, uh, they said for the year 2016, they announced the six mm. characters which will be available for download, which they also make very clear you'll be able to achieve for free by playing the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to buy time as I talk here looking for that list. I know on that list was... I, 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 I can tell you an order. You got... Okay, wh- what do you got? Okay, so the order should be Alex, Guile, Balrog... Ibuki, Judy, and Urian. Left or right? I was, I was both surprised and happy at the same time that Judy was coming back. I, I, I expected Judy. I mean, because just like I think she was easily the most popular of the new characters from Street Fighter Four. Hmm. Um, and I think that I think she's gonna need some changing up, but I think she can definitely fit into the Street Fighter Five world. Right. Um. Ibuki I hope, was not a character I was expecting. I always liked the look of Ibuki. I always enjoyed that character from Street Fighter Three. My biggest hope, I hope to God they get the art style right for Guile. Mm. I hated the way he looked in Street Fighter Four, and I've said that numerous times before, and it was always one of my favorite characters from the original Street Fighter Two era. I thought, you know, very cool looking character, had a really good look with um, just the way it came out in sprite form, but I never, I never really that character. As a matter of fact, that character didn't click with me as much visually since it's Street Fighter Zero Three mm. sprite redraw. I like the way it looked in like Champion Edition or Turbo or whatever. But but anyway, so I, I just really hope they do that character justice. I always thought he looked weird in SF Four. Well, I mean, if if you if you go back and look, I so um. So Ryu is unchanged. Chun-Li is unchanged. Zangief is unchanged. Yeah, I, I yeah. I was afraid you were going to say something like that. Even like but but even like Dalzim has some differences. Uh Ken definitely is is very different. Right. I I so I think they're they're being a little bit braver about changing up characters. I I re, if I really have hope that Guile is going to be have a new visual look. I hope so. Honestly, I hope so too. I would imagine the trademark hair would most likely stay. Yeah, uh, that I think. But I, I can see him having more of like a, maybe like a, a more proper like military uniform, like jacket, stuff like that, perhaps. Right. Um, I think Balrog is going to have minor. Now, when we say Balrog, are we talking boxer. about? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, boxer. Um, I, cause it looks kind of like he might have a hood, you know, like a hoodie on now or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hope he's going to have one. I think Jury's going to have some pretty big redesign because if you look at, uh, the silhouettes that were released for these characters, like hers doesn't seem to fit how she currently looks. How, how picky am I allowed to be? Go ahead. As much as you want. Uh, you know what? I wasn't, I, I thought the character Judy looked awesome. Like I wouldn't really change anything about the look of jury from street fighter four like i was that pleased with it but with a couple characters and this goes for poison as well like i actually like the i like the look and the design of poison am i nuts or 
I wasn't crazy as to how the projectiles looked for Judy and Poison. Um, or am I am I being way too picky? I think you know I what I'm know. talking yeah, about. I think poisons were fine. I think juries were kind of, um, they were kind of a little smokier and a little plasma plasmier, if that's even a word. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like projectiles, I think are a weird thing. So I think projectiles are really easy to get wrong. Like I'll give you, and this is different game, and it was interesting that they even put it in there. Like for example, and it was weird to get used to because this character never had projectiles. But do you remember in Street Fighter Cross Tekken when they gave Jin Kazama that like orb projectile? Yeah, that was always weird to see. But I kind of felt like for Poison and Judy, for example, like it wasn't like a deal breaker. My biggest gripe once again was Guile, but mm. yeah, I didn't like. I don't know. It didn't. I thought I'd silence that. <laughs> if you need to get it, that's no, nope, okay. it's fine. We're fine. But, um, but yeah. So you know, Street Fighter Five looking looking great. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Chun Li was once again. Was I? Am I making things up in my imagination? I saw uh, an, a super ultra performed uh, from Chun Li, and specifically, it was in the video showcasing. I think the first set of like alternate costumes or whatever. And she was performing it, I think, ironically, on uh, Claw, uh, Vega, whatever you want to call them. Vega, yeah, yeah. Did they take that, the camera work and the way that came off, was that inspired by the Street Fighter Two animated movie? I think so. You know people, what I'm talking about, that famous... Wondered, some people wondered that, yeah, because there was that famous... Ch- oh, they did, because I didn't read that. I didn't read anything on yeah, that. Yeah, because so that it, Chun-Li versus Vega fight. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it looked the way that the camera work and the way it looked and like the facial expression on him. Uh, I thought right away the Street Fighter animated movie. Yeah. Which, by the way, bringing a call back to earlier in the episode, I would probably put Street Fighter Two the animated movie on one of my mm. on my list. I, I really enjoyed that. I think. But, um, um, I think Chun Li. I'm kind of like sad that they didn't give her more of an update. Because I feel like she's a character that is just stuck in that uh, that main outfit, you know. At this point, um, I I I kind of dig her alternate outfit. The one you're talking about, though. Yeah, I thought it looked awesome. Yeah, and like I like yep. I like her with her hair down and stuff. So, right. Yep. And then, uh, and actually, you know, we're only we're about two months away from. Street Fighter V's release, so that's right around the corner. Uh, something, speaking of betas and waiting and making your, your mind up and w- just waiting for full releases, uh, there is something I have to call you out on, uh, but I am jealous of. Okay. Uh, you've had ex- you've had experience with the Street Fighter V beta? I played it last night. What did you think? Uh, I know I'm really excited. Like I'm really, really excited for Street Fighter V. I think, I think part of it is just the fact that at this point, we've had Street Fighter IV for just so long. That I want kind of like a rest, a refresh and a restart on, on right. things. Um, I've mostly had good experience with the online. I know people have had some issues with lag and stuff. And Capcom's making a big deal about their net code for this one. So hopefully that'll mm. be all worked out by the time it comes out. Mm. Um, but no, I, I really, really can't wait. And I'm kind of upset because I missed the last round of betas. And I think maybe... People got to play as Laura in that oh. one, and so I have n- I have had no chance to play as her because um, when did she come out? 
was it the Brazil show? And then, so she would have been playable at PSX, but I was not there. So the last character I played in an event was Mika. And then in the previous beta that I played, um, I did get to finally try Karin. So I'm I'm kind of trying to decide if I want to go for Karin or go for Laura. Can, can you believe I completely forgot Karin was in that game? Remember, cause I, I, I bitched at you for saying her name wrong. Well, I, I just corrected myself because you said it correctly yeah. first, but I, I completely forgot that that character was yep. in there. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I just, yeah, I spaced that. Yeah, so. But, um, well, before I almost moved off the SF5 topic, but I almost forgot one of the points we were going to make. So what do you think of the removal of certain <sighs> animations? Uh-oh. I'm really mad about this. I'm really upset about this. Yes, for anybody who hasn't heard, so of course when when Rainbow Mika, the the Japanese uh, female wrestler, was revealed, her critical art starts with it panning down to show her her rear end, and then she slaps you know her butt, and because she's setting up this kind of two person butt thing to I don't even know what it's like a butt power like a bomb tag, a tag team assist yes. Maneuver. Um, and they have now changed the camera. They have moved the camera up. So she still smacks her ass, but you don't actually see her smacking the ass. <laughs> and it's just, it's ridiculous. And, and the kind of, I have the, I, I wanted to get his actual comment because Yoshinori Ono had something to say about this. So he says, um, our objective with Street Fighter V is to start over from zero. We want the professional players and the casual fans of the series to return. We also want to reach those who've never even touched a fighting game. But we can't have something in the game that makes people think this is not acceptable. Oh my god. Um, he says we didn't make any changes because of external influences. Those changes came up internally. We decided to remove that, that being the butt slap... Because we want the biggest possible numbers of people to play, and we don't want to have something in the game that might make someone uncomfortable. Um, and finally, he goes on to say, probably we won't be able to remove everything that could offend someone, but our goal is at least to reduce the number of as much as possible so that they think, okay, there is an issue here, but it is with that within it, the limits. We want that everyone can play and enjoy without worrying about anything else. Okay, so the first problem with this is if you're saying that that was unacceptable and you want to remove it because you want more people to be brought into Street Fighter V, then I would argue that Mika as a whole is unacceptable in her current form and is a problem. Now, I mean... I want to be clear here. I I love Rainbow Mika. I love her design. I like. I mean, I have a few issues with her outfit, but it's more like the midsection needs work. Uh, but I mean, if you look at her as a character, like she is so over the top at this point. Like, why was the butt slap the part where they're like, "Oh, this has gone too far"? Yeah, especially like with her, you know, her attire, exaggerated features, but the. I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go on, I would I would say that if you look at her and you look at her rear end, I think 
had you um covered up the parts of her rear end that are showing and still showed the butt slap, that would have been way better as a compromise than having her still show her ass the way she does, but not show the slap. So I'm going to say something stupid before we get further into our opinions on this. Since we're since everyone seems to be going back to like the early 90s in terms of censoring and going completely backwards, if that's the case, and we're 20 years in the past, does that mean we get a code to unlock the uh, uncensored <laughs> animation? No, no, you know no at I this mean? point it would be DLC. It would be like, yeah, <laughs> change your age DLC. You know, or at least, yeah. I mean, and like, I'm so torn on this. Be- well, uh, excuse me. I'm not torn on this. I'm. It's ridiculous and it should be left alone. So that's my stance on it. But when I say I'm torn, I'm like, I always try to see things sometimes, you know, from other people's perspectives or be respectful of that. And, you know, if it's a warranted change or, you know, I, I get it. But we're not talking about like Super Mario Brothers or Sonic or a game that's aged towards five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, as well as adults. Like, you know, it's it's Street Fighter. And it's, you know, certainly not a Mortal Kombat by any means. I went on record saying MK10 is one of the... That's got to be the most graphic, brutal game I've... I mean, it even tops GTA, in my opinion, just for downright nastiness. But, like, in an... In, in the internet age and cell phone age where there's so many things that so many people are exposed to in an instant, I can't, I honestly can't wrap my head around censoring something like that. I just don't get it. Okay. Like, well, the first thought, I think if we're going to, if we're going to take every possibility is, is this a case where Capcom ended up realizing that this might be a problem when it comes to the SRB? Because they give some weird ratings for weird things sometimes, and if the butt slap would be the difference between... Because I mean, cause you could say like her outfit's one thing, right? But if the butt slap suddenly is considered to be like a sexual act or something like that, then does that potentially bump this game to being rated... M instead of rated No way, no way. But do you know for sure? No way. Because, I mean... I thought we were going on the topic of from E to T. No, 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 because I... What is Street Fighter rated right now? uh, It should be T. No way. No, wait, wait. Could you... Hang on, on, Anthony. (laughs) Remember remember the fact that the Persona games are rated M for mature. And you know what? I... But you know what? Pers- okay. Get, let's this is the first thing that came to my head. Persona 3 though. Uh when they evoke the what's the term when they when the, the, they sure. when when they when they use the evoker to to call for yeah, Persona they, they should I, I mean technically you know what they yes. they're like they're blowing their own brains out. I okay. mean, you're not seeing their brains fly. But that's not Persona okay. 4. Okay, but Persona 4 deals with some, I would say, mature topics. Uh, Now, look, I'm not sitting here justifying the M rating in that respect, but I can see argument for that jump first before a butt slap in Street Fighter. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. I'm I'm saying that's my first thought is, okay, maybe it's that. But let's, let's say it's not. Let's say it's not a problem with that. Then my second thought has to be, 
they're worried about the reaction of women, basically, either female players or just women in general. Um, because if you're talking about guys who, well, who cares? I mean, I'm sorry. No offense, guys, but like, who cares what you think about this butt slap? Like, it doesn't matter. So if, if the thought is that you're worried about female player reaction, then my argument would be, I think it's much more rational to, to see Cammy as the biggest problem and not Mika. Oh, don't do that to one of my favorite characters. But, What's but, going on now? But I'm saying is Mika is such an over-the-top character that I think right. seeing that butt slap just feels totally in character for her. And I, I really don't think most women would see that and be like, oh, that's going to make me never play Street Fighter. Right. I think seeing a character like Cammy that seemed like a much more serious character and then being like, why does this girl not know that pants exist in this world? <laughs> that, I think is a bigger red flag when you're first looking at it. You know, or the fact that, you know, Laura needs a sports bra on her outfit. I I, I think that if you're looking at as, if you're worried about what females are going to think of your game, I think Mika is not your top priority. So if your reaction is to take away her butt slap, you're going in completely the wrong direction. Uh, my mind is still blown in that. Could you imagine if Street Fighter Five got an M rating? That means it would be on the same page as Mortal Kombat Ten. I mean, that is so. And that mind- shows. I mean, doesn't that show the problem of our rating system, though? I mean, I, look, I'm the first person to say, you know what? Let's be free, and it's all on. But damn, I could make an argument for MK10 to be rated. Like AO or you know what I mean, right? Uh, I mean it was it was way out there with the fatalities. And you know what? To their credit for that series, not sounding like I'm stepping on it or bashing it. You know what? For what it is, it, you know what? More power to them because that's what Mortal Kombat was built on. I'm not sitting here saying it was my favorite fighting game, and I've always been very harsh on that series. I got a lot of flack from people um, on the previous on Double Plus. Because I didn't give Mortal Kombat 9 a chance. And I finally bought in on MK10. And you know what? For what that game sets out to do and how they they you know they restarted things, I'll give them credit. And and they didn't back down on what set that series apart. So for that aspect, staying true to the, you know, to, to what Mortal Kombat is, uh, you know, I'll give them a thumbs up. But at the same time, it is just I don't know where they would go for MK11 on top of seeing people getting gutted, demons coming out on screen, eating their intestines, you know, the most brutal facial uh, uh, bones busting and destruction and coinciding with selfies. And so. Well, I mean, Mortal Kombat, I think, connects to the next game we're going to talk about in this whole controversy stuff. Um, In terms of that's a game that, like, I don't necessarily like Mortal Kombat, and I I will totally admit that part of the reason I don't like it is because of how gory it is. But I would never say change this game, and right. and I think this is what we're talking about with Street Fighter, and also for the next game too. Is what is the difference between there was something legitimately wrong with our game? We should fix it so that it is friendlier to, to a wider audience, and 
where do we stop listening to complaints because those people would never be our audience anyway? Right. That right. That's a very like good you're point. saying that you're not Mortal Kombat's audience. I am certainly not Mortal Kombat's audience. But as much as I don't like that gore, I would never ask them to change that because that game's not meant for me. That game's meant for yeah, other if, people. And, and here's the deal. Let's say you toned down and censored all those fatalities and cleaned it up. It's not Mortal Kombat anymore. Right. And in the same in the same time is, you know, I look at all the female characters that are in Street Fighter and I don't have a problem with any of them. Like none of those characters make me think this game's unfriendly to female players or this character goes too far or this character is offensive to me. Like, I think Capcom's always been pretty darn good about their female characters in, in their fighting games. And I mean, I would even argue that like rainbow is just fun, cute, happy, peppy kind of female character. So I would even say that like, you know, if anything, like she would be the one that would maybe appeal to female players the most. I mean, beyond like Chun-Li, obviously, who's this kind of, you know, like idol character and in terms of just history and notoriety and stuff. So I don't know. Like, I think, I think doing this to, to Mika was just a really weird decision. And I, I don't think if it really was concern over, you know, player reactions to the game and how people would see it, like, I don't think that was the right thing to do. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around it. You know, whether it be the bias of being a gamer for so long and have seen the ups and downs of the rating systems and different opinions, um, it's just, I've said this already, but it just blows me away in terms of, you know, with the rating system having been implemented over 20 years and um, just with the crazy things that are readily available in so many other ways and forms of entertainment, I don't want to push the the heat from gaming elsewhere, but there's so many other crazy things readily available in the instant that I can't believe a a butt slap in a, in a fighting game you know, is, uh, is getting looked at in almost 2016 and adjusted, you know? Yeah. I mean, and you know what, I would love to like, I would love to hear from any other female players out there. Um, you know, female gamers that are bothered by this, you know, like I want to, I want to, I want to know who the people are, um, who wouldn't play street fighter because of that butt slap or who would be offended by it and not because of, wanting to attack them like i just legitimately want to know like what their opinion was and if they actually do exist because you know same thing with the next story we're gonna talk about i think there's this kind of um just boogeyman thing going on right now about well we just want to make this change because we're worried about stuff but there's not necessarily the proof to back up this is a legitimate concern right now the the next aspect the the next part of this topic uh just cutting right to the chase dead or alive extreme beach volleyball 3 which as of right now will only be available uh pretty much in asia so in short you know i could see a little bit more of an argument for this but at the same time you know this is a game that has always been rated mature uh pulls no punches as to who it's catering to but now it's just one of those things where it's seemingly that whether it be Tecmo or Team Ninja or whoever, they don't even want to waste their time marketing it, bringing it over here or catching the heat, so to speak. And as of right now, they're just slicing it out of this territory. But I want to know, like, what heat? Like, I this is the one I especially want proof on. Like, I want Tecmo Koi to say to show me uh, 
who these people are that are bitching about this game because Dead or Alive is a known quantity. We've had Dead or Alive games for years and years and years. They've always been like this, especially Dead or Alive Extreme games. Um, you know, talking about Mortal Kombat, about like that's for a certain segment of people. So are the Dead or Alive games. Like we know exactly who Dead or Alive games are for. Uh, for people who like like that kind of just silliness and dressing up cute girls in very scantily outfits and having fun with them, you know? Um, like, I want to know. I want proof of who complained about this. Because <laughs> I think that there's, like I said, there's this boogeyman thing going on right now where on both sides of this kind of argument, where one side can say, oh, look, you know, this, this group of people, like, they hate this kind of stuff and they want everything to be changed and censored and edited. And then the other side's like, um, you're like, oh, look, like, there's only these kind of games out there and there's no good female character representation and stuff like that. And the the truth is that neither side of the, neither of those sides is right. And so I want to know who these supposed people are that are bitching about their, that are alive that's making Koei Tecmo reconsider bringing this out over here. I don't know. I it's so weird. I I can't one. I can't believe we're having this conversation. This you know in this current state of gaming, but then at the same time, like look at all the weird niche anime slash you know pervy humorous titles we've gotten over here the last few years, like on Vita and Senran Kagura. Look at those uh, yeah. games. How do we have those games and suddenly they're like. Oh, we can't bring Dead or Alive over because it, you know, people will freak out about it. Like who? Right? And what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the weird thing. Like, and how many how many of those type of games have come out recently? Like, I'm shocked. Not even because of the content. I'm just shocked those games came out here. Period. You, you know what I mean? Because you know whether it be are they even getting the sales to make their money back and this and that. But yeah, I mean, on one end, look at. Uh, I just bought it on the Black Friday sale digitally. I actually bit the bullet and I got Onechan but a Z2 mm-hmm. Chaos. Yes. And, you know, uh, it may not have the animation quality or character model quality of the Dead or Alive games, but nonetheless, you know, that's another, uh, you know, scantily clad, ridiculous B-movie type over-the-top action title, you know? And it's I, like a, you know. And I feel like just like I feel like some often this conversation is black and white. Like either there's nothing or there's everything. You know, like it's either like we need to censor everything or screw you. We never need to think about anybody's feelings. And I look at a game like Rise of the Tomb Raider, and I love what they've done with the new Laura Croft because she's uh, a more developed character. She's she's not having those giant balloon breasts that she used to have, you know, she's actually wearing proper clothing. Like I, I really like the new Tomb Raider series because of them moving Laura away from the fan service route. But at right. that exact same time, I love Dead or Alive for what it is. You know, I, I will play Dead or Alive and I will put those girls in super skimpy outfits and I will have a lot of fun doing it. Um, So, you know, like, I just think that like, you can like different things for different reasons and different things are appropriate or not appropriate in different situations. You know, I would not want those dead or live characters, um, put into Tomb Raider. Like, I mean, a good example, I think of this is, uh, the most recent fatal frame that came out in the Wii U right. and how there was some really kind of 
like sexy outfits in that game and i thought those were a little inappropriate for that game because i don't think that's what fatal frame is supposed to be about or what it's been about and so to me those felt like out of place but dead or alive as it is does not feel out of place because that's what it's supposed to be that's what it's meant to be that's what it does and i hate the fact that now if i want to play dead or alive extreme 3 i might have to order an asian copy of it instead of just directly downloading it from psn to my ps4 or going to a store and picking it up now i'm not saying what i'm about to say to be funny or shtick or to go against the grain but for various reasons not just the one you mentioned i am upset at how Fatal Frame, what is it, Black Maiden, how that was handled on Wii Maiden, Maiden of Blackwater. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. Maiden of Blackwater. And, God, it just, where to begin? Uh, not, And I'm not just talking from the outfits perspective. So the outfits perspective is one thing. Now, why am I upset about it? Now, do I agree with Molly and that? that aspect really doesn't have a place in Fatal Frame and what that game brings to the table. Uh, Yes, but the argument I will also make, and correct me if I'm wrong, the main character in Fatal Frame, the latest one, no matter how ridiculous it is, is your main character not an idol? Well, the the problem is there's there's multiple main characters, and... There, there is a main character, and I, to be fair, I've not gotten this far because the game is boring, unfortunately. Uh, there is a character, I believe, who is an idol, and there's a certain segment where she is doing idol, like, photograph, photography stuff. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question then is, like, why is that even the game in the first place? Okay, so, so here's the deal. So, And I'll go this far. Let's say the game is trash. And I, I haven't played it, so... Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, the game is a 2, having never touched the game. Just for sake of this, uh, for the argument I'm making. Let's say the game sucks. Mm -hmm. The part that still bothers me is that they took the time to edit the original content. And then not only that, they brought it over here digital only. Now, part of the reason why I'm going to argue this versus Yakuza 5, which we got on PS3, different ball game in my opinion. Because the your stock we use Anthony. have a much smaller hard drive internally versus the PlayStation 3 oh. console. So that's strike two. And I know that game, I going off memory, takes up at least 13 and 16 gigs. And then also, if I understood correctly, uh, not only is that a uh, a wrench in things... But there's two files you have to download in order to play the Fatal Frame like separate on the eShop, which complicates things further. And lastly, going back to the edited content aspect that bothers me, it's the principle of it. Because you got to figure, the people who are jumping through all of those hoops to play this new Fatal Frame, one, you got to have a Wii U. That's, I mean, Jesus, that's something in and of itself. Two, you got to be willing to buy the game digitally only on that system. You're going to eat up the bulk of your stock hard drive for this game. And who the hell do you think is going to be going through all that buying this game? And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to part two of episode 13 of the Generic Video Game Podcast. 
you're once again joined by myself, Anthony, alongside my one and only co-host, Molly. And uh, we're coming back at you here about 10 days removed from uh, the pretty much the unlucky number 13 uh, part one episode of GVGP. We had numerous technical difficulties. It was alluded to uh, during our recent recording uh, towards the tail end of it before we threw in the towel for that night. Nonetheless, turning a negative into a positive, uh, all things work out in the end. Uh, We have uh, some new material, so to speak. Christmas has now passed. We're now approaching the new year 2016. Uh, we have some more gaming under our belts. And while this isn't a uh, movie-centric podcast, uh, I'd like to take the opportunity at some point during the remainder of this recording to maybe discuss a bit of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Never heard of it. <laughs> I was just reading, actually, like I was just reading before we started this today, um, this big post from somebody who went, who had like, never seen star wars ever like any of the episodes ever or anything um and so it was really interesting i mean she obviously knew a few things like you know the i am your father stuff and who darth vader was and who are mm-hmm. you know you, you can't like it's hard to like just not know you know who those kind of characters and some of that stuff is um that's all she knew going in so it was really interesting to read like her long list of notes watching star wars and not having that kind of background to the movies well, without getting, uh, I don't know if it would be spoilery, uh, as it seems pretty much the overwhelming majority of the planet has gone to see Star Wars numerous times. Um, it, it's almost interesting because that person almost goes in getting to witness the rebirth of Star Wars as Seven very closely mirrors Episode Four. I mean, to be fair, my wife was the same way. Like, she she has never seen any of the Star Wars movies. And she does know a few things from it, like who Darth Vader is and things like that. But, um, you know, I took her to see that, and she saw it without having any of that backstory herself. So Now, what's, now I'm going to say something here, and I'll, I'll let you uh, talk on this. So, 20, 2015, and I would say the last few years, you know, it's interesting because whether it be in the realm of gaming, whether it be in movies, whether it be in American pro wrestling, it seems that the female um, female characters, uh, female movement is rather strong, if not stronger than ever. And in 2015, not only have we seen kind of the movement in pro wrestling with the female division and NXT and a more serious take on that form of athletic competition... Uh, we also had Mad Max Fury Road earlier this year with uh, going off memory. What was it? Furiosa, mm-hmm. uh, strong female lead, and now in episode uh, seven, uh, you've got Ray, uh, essentially the new Luke Skywalker, a prominent female lead. So, um, w- what was your wife's take on having not only now seen Star Wars? Did she have any take on? Uh, was she, was there any surprise as to how prominent and strong the female lead was? No, I don't think so. Like, I think I, I need to talk to her more about it because she just kind of seemed like, oh, that was fun. That's like her her big, you know, outcome of it. <laughs> I, I, she really like she really went because she knew I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Like that's why she went to see it. Like I don't think she has any interest in it um, beyond that. So I, I don't know. I mean, like she like surprise, surprise. She liked BB-8. And it's, it's uh. I don't know if you ever watch. I'm 
stupidly addicted to these um like reaction videos on youtube <laughs> and they're so horrible but whatever so the i watched like a whole bunch of the people react to the star wars trailers and it was really interesting for me to see the beats that uh female watchers reacted to and the things that the male watchers reacted to and they were very different you know um and it was funny because <laughs> the the female viewers almost always had a very strong reaction to BB-8. And and even, like, for me, like, I really loved him. And I, I walked out like, oh, my God, do I actually like him more than R2-D2, which seems kind of, like, blasphemous to me. But so it does kind of <clears> – I mean, I hate to say the fact that, you know, oh, they've tailored this movie more for a female audience, but it's hard not – to kind of think that but then at the same time do you do you say then say okay well then is this also being tailored to a black audience because now we have a black main character or is that just what they wanted like you, you it's it's much hard to separate the what are they doing to make money versus what are they doing because they legitimately want to do that kind of thing well right there i mean you have two elements uh, you know female lead uh, a prominent african-american role in the lead uh, a couple things which haven't really been done, not only in the Star Wars universe, but like this is like going against stereotypes and generalizing. Like, not only do they have those two elements in this movie, we're talking about literally the biggest movie of all time, breaking every single box office record. Still has to, still has to get past um, Avatar. That's the big question. In- What's Avatar at? What in the hell is Avatar at? Avatar's like 2.7 billion worldwide. Well, uh, that's first off, that's amazing. Well, second um, off, first off or second off, either one, uh, that movie is garbage. So I hate the fact that it's uh, sp- that made that much money. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a moment. So I can't. Yeah, and I, can't, I, I don't. And I, I don't. Dis- and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just. Uh, it's just funny. Um, my my brother is a big big Avatar fan. I do not understand it. The only thing I and I won't go down this road. I'll make this quick. The only thing I was interested in seeing from James Cameron um, is if he was going to follow through with Battle Angel. Yeah, and I mean, look, I love. I mean, I love James Cameron. Like, I can list like all these movies of his I love. I mean, you know, Aliens and T two are to this day like just two of the epitome action movies that exist out there right you know and i know i mean look terminator one great but i mean to me like t2 was like where it just went to a whole new new level um he's done plenty of stuff and the idea of avatar especially like i think in the early days like schwarzenegger was supposed to be the star of avatar and it sounded like this really crazy kind of like outer space action movie and then it just came out and i just i don't care at all i don't know i don't I don't get it, and I usually love James. I mean, yeah, James Cameron stuff. So I just don't get Avatar. Mm. Well, I look at that more at the time. It was a tech showcase and kind of blew open the doors for three D. Um, and that's one of the only three D movies I've ever seen because one, I have bad eyes, and people close to me and who know me know that I hate. Uh, not only do I hate three D movies, I hate putting that over my prescription glasses because I'm an old man. But aside from that, in regards to Star Wars and box office records, you know, most recently it broke the now Christmas Day record, bringing in $49 million on that day. You know, the movie cost about $200 million to make. Uh, the franchise for Disney to buy from Lucas cost $4 billion. But 
analyst which, which shade. I mean, which will like that was ridiculously cheap. I mean, when you think well about, at this point now, yeah, I mean, hindsight no, 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 twenty twenty. Even, even thinking about what they got <coughs> out of this, I mean, they got Star Wars for four billion dollars. Like it is, it is so easy to make back that four billion dollars from Star Wars. You know, when you look at like the t- <coughs> toy sales, the fact that they're putting it into um you know the disney parks uh all the kind of licensing stuff the movies you can make the spin-off movies you can make the tv shows right. you can make the cartoons you can make you know it's like four billion was like pocket change for- well but i will say this um while i agree i think we can say that i don't think anyone could have predicted they would that they would have gotten that four billion back this quickly the, now, analysts say – now, this is as of a couple weeks ago or a week ago – that if they stay on track and with what trends show, this movie alone could bring in over $3.5 billion. So, I mean, they, they will get their money back on one right, right out the gate. Well, I mean, right we don't, but don't gate. forget that, that they have to, like, factor in, like, marketing costs and other things like that. Sure. But yeah, but, once once you have like the theatrical run and the DVD sales and Blu-ray sales and digital sales and the toy sales and everything just from this movie, like they're going to make a huge chunk of that back. And, and here's the thing, and unless it happened in the recent hours, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the other big thing is that the movie was still yet to hit China, which yep. I guess is a huge Yeah, it's market. not in China yet. So, I mean, money, money, money. So, big money. Uh, I will say for Star Wars, you know, a lot of not to echo for the millionth time what's been online and articles and blogs and everyone else has said, but you know, I concur. You know, a lot of people were jaded and disliked episodes one, two, and three, and this really not only did this resurrect it, it followed a winning formula with maybe a new wrinkle or two, and now set the scope uh, for at least two more main canon sequels, uh, not including the spinoffs. Now, that's not to say the movie was perfect, but I would say in terms of what they had to do to resurrect it, keep fans happy, and move forward, I would say that it was played perfectly. No, I mean, it's, it's yeah, you know, I'm coming from the position of being somebody who, <clears throat> you know, Star Wars was one of the first movies I ever saw in a, in a movie theater. Like, even if I don't remember that experience, it was one of my first. Um, I was a huge Star Wars fan. The, the prequels, like, for many people, those just kind of just killed me inside for a long time you know and i i was so so excited for phantom menace when it when it first came out same here yeah because it was like oh my god star wars is back you know and and you know i like i'm one of the people who believes it's bs that lucas ever planned out this entire like nine movie series like he did not know that at first um you know, but then, then when the talk started coming around, like, oh, yeah, there's actually nine chapters and there's going to be six other movies. You know, you're like, oh, my God, there's going to be six more Star Wars movies, you know? <laughs> and, and then you waited and waited and nothing came out. And then finally Phantom Menace came out and it's like, oh, oh, okay. No. But no, I mean, like, not... wait, wait, real quick. Uh, so yep. I think for me, um, Force Awakens was kind of what Phantom Menace was supposed to have done. Like, this for me is like, yeah, not everything's perfect, and there there's some things that might be a little bit different, and the characters are definitely much older than I was expecting them to be once we got to Chapter 7, Episode 7, you know, but this is 
Star Wars. And and this really feels like going to see a Star Wars movie. And, you know, if if the prequels like, hadn't existed the way they did, and if this just came out, it would be one thing. But I think the reason this is going to be so big is because we were in this place before. We wanted this continuation. It just was horrible. And so this is finally the, oh, my God, we're getting that chance Right. Once and for all to have that continuation of Star Wars. Now, okay, so two two things. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Now, let's say back in 99, I believe it was when Phantom Menace came out. Let's say we got a movie like this of this quality back then, which now 1999 is approaching, rapidly approaching 20 years ago, about 17 or oh. so years ago. Um, now, do you feel that that would have been, quote, too soon for the formula they had in episode seven if that was almost 20 years ago because that the first star wars is uh, 77 99 was 22 years so two decades after but now present day it's about close to 40 years after so you know one of the things i was telling some people on uh, online was that for the couple of people who nitpicked at some things which was justified you know i i said it's a double-edged sword with Star Wars fans because while certain aspects were repeated, you also need to understand that not only is there a new generation watching, a new generation of kids, but that first Star Wars was almost 40 years ago. And I said, and this may have been a bad analogy, but just for sake of argument, look at look at Spider-Man. How many times has Spider-Man been rebooted just in the last 15 years? Right. I mean, we're talking from the first Star Wars that released in 77 till now, that's a long time ago, you know? So, and I also said, you know, that's a testament in all fairness to Star Wars as to how much not only do the people love the series and how memorable the characters are, but also that people have probably watched that movie a million times, so it's still fresh in your head. But if you're someone who's more of a casual viewer, and let's say you watched that in theaters then, and maybe when it came out at home, but you're not like, you know, a a junkie for it, you know... It's not going to be as fresh in your head, and and that's a long time. Yeah, and I mean, like, people keep calling this like a, what, a soft reboot, and it kind of is, and like you're saying, it kind of had to be in a way. Um, I don't think we could have had this movie come out when Phantom Menace did, because then it would have, it, I mean, I absolutely think you could have gone back to those characters at that point. I think people would have absolutely wanted it, you know, and enough time had passed that it would be interesting, but you obviously couldn't have the story you have in this one that does kind of feel like a retread in a number of ways, because then I think people would have been disappointed. Hmm. But because you've had the Phantom Menace like it was, um, then this can do what it did. And like I was, I think as I was saying a second ago is if Phantom Menace had been, if the prequels had been good, then I wonder, like, it's almost like a double-edged sword, is if the prequels had been good, would that have kept up the popularity of Star Wars enough that Force Awakens would be doing what it's doing? I see what you're saying, right, because now it's almost like redemption, a last chance. Yeah, it's part of this, like, the redemption of people just so happy to see kind of the fixing of Star Wars. Right. Now, speaking of uh, the earlier episodes, uh, one, two, and three, I was watching a kind of an Easter egg video on the latest Star Wars, and there was a spot where they're looking at the wall against the building or whatever, 
And I guess all the flags on the wall yes. were like the racing flags from Phantom Menace. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, I I thought I'd heard that one of the flags, yeah, was a certain I th- Or at least some race. of them were. And then I think there might have been, yeah, something. Yeah, whatever it was, it was taken from the. Yeah, there's definitely like, yeah, that you, it's one of those kind of things that you have to wait to get the Blu-ray. And so you don't <laughs> really, really look at it. Right. Um. Yeah, I liked it, and I love I love Ray. I love Ray so much. Like I just love Ray so much. And and when what happens at the end happens, like that was like so exciting to me. So I mean, I, I think like I think I like all the new characters to be honest. And it's so funny because have you ever watched? Um, I don't know if we've talked about them before, but there's like the uh, Plinket reviews of the original trilogy. I don't think I've okay, seen Okay, so there's, there's this group called, called Red Letter Media, and they did, like, these really in-depth, like, literally, the review of each movie is, like, as long as the movie is. Wow. And they're all on YouTube, and you watch them, and you're like, why would I sit there for, like, an hour and a half and watching a Phantom Menace review? But it is the most fantastic thing in the world. <laughs> and... <clears throat> You know, he, they, it, he, it's a character basically who's reviewing these movies. And <clears throat> one of the things that they just keep hitting on is like, there were just no likable characters in the, the, the prequel trilogy. There was like nobody to like. You know, even like Obi-Wan, who I think Ewan was the best part of those movies. And, you know, Obi-Wan was the character you maybe could have gravitated towards. Like, even he was done wrong. And so I think what's so fun for me and interesting as well is that. Force Awakens is the complete opposite. That like every new character in this movie is interesting and fun. Sure, like there's arguments for different viewers to gravitate towards certain personalities or certain characters in that movie. Yeah, but I mean, even then, like, like I mean, obviously, I'm gonna love Ray, but I I liked Finn, I liked Poe, I liked Kylo Ren, I liked BB-8. Like every new character that's added, like I actually care about and like. So in one movie, they've done what three movies before couldn't do so that now i'm actually legitimately excited to see what happens to these characters next right and i would say on the bb-8 topic because you started the conversation kind of in on that um you know bb-8 if possible you know it's kind of a more cutesy version of um r2d2 yeah it's it's, for being a little machine or droid you know it was still very emotional and um i guess spoiler so don't listen to the next 15 seconds you know, the big thing is when that the thumbs up sequence and then he opened up and put out the lighter, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So, you know, uh, good key moments. Uh, end of spoiler, by the way. But um, but yeah, uh, you well, know, they, they, uh, the whole thing had like a lot of humor, like people mentioned the fact like there's like more humor in this than Star Wars has ever had. But it wasn't but it wasn't bad humor no. or like forced. It, it didn't feel out of place. It definitely wasn't like Jar Jar humor, you know. Like, all the humor, really, I think what it was was previously, <clears throat> you know, you had Han was kind of, like, the funny character. And secondarily, right. you had, you know, C-3PO, <coughs> and then also just the things that could be done as jokes here and there with the other characters, where I feel like you can expect more of that kind of personality to come out from all of the, the new characters. mm so, like, I think there's more opportunity to have those kind of, like, more lighthearted moments. And, right. yeah, I mean, you always kind of worry, like, okay, is this going to be a jokey movie? But it, it none of those jokes feel out of place. Yeah. Now, when you when you went to see this, 
Uh, how soon after release did you get to see it? Um, well, so I had, <coughs> and thankfully because of getting sick, um, it gave me a few extra days to to be prepared to go. But <laughs> I ended up getting, uh, we got tickets for midnight on Sunday. So I'm actually I used to say Monday morning, like so twelve oh one a.m. Monday morning is wow. when our ticket was. My my friends and I did so the quote official release was like that Friday. Mm-hmm. We went Saturday morning. You ready for this? It was Saturday morning at eight twenty a.m. Wow! I guess a lot of the local theaters in my town. I was unaware of this at the time. For that weekend, they stayed open twenty four hours. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, crazy. You should but, have done the. Uh, you should have done the thing where they you watched like all seven movies. <laughs> Well, not to brag, and I might have said this on an older episode, for my birthday last year in 2014, one of the gifts I got is I got the entire Star Wars Blu-ray set. So I did go back and relive a couple of those movies in recent months. But you know what? I haven't watched episodes one, two, or three yet on Blu-ray. I've only seen those movies once in theaters. So my memories of those are literally from when they happened. So it's I'm actually interested to go back and watch those, not so I can slice my own throat, but to see how they, how I react versus you know versus my memory and when I was like nineteen, twenty at the time. So, by the way, for anybody listening out there, if if you say the prequel trilogies had the best <laughs> lightsaber fights, you are wrong. <laughs> Not even opinion. You're just factually wrong in that. No. Okay. No, I thought, don't. Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> what are you, okay, what are you going to say? No, I, I, for real, I, I thought the lightsaber fight was great in the new one. And I've got no, nothing yes, to No, yes, in the new one, it's great. Yes. It was great. And, and I'm talking in the new one, in episode yes. seven. It was great. Because you know why it was great? But, for two things. One, it wasn't like dancers dancing with ribbons around looking okay. like oh yeah and, okay and yeah. two it had actual emotional depth to the fight mm. i mean go go back and like when you go back and watch the prequel the prequels like actually watch the obi-wan and anakin like the final fight okay and how ridiculous and how <laughs> nonsensical okay. and there's just okay. no emotional connection with you to that fight and then watch the fight in force awakens right and be like, wow, this is what that fight could or should have been. Just, you know, like the, again, the Red Letter people say that same thing. It's like, you have them. Because when I was young and I heard the story of like, okay, I don't remember where I heard it, but you hear that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader had the fight in a volcano. And my thought was, okay, they're literally on top of a volcano. There's like a bridge spanning the volcano and they're fighting over lava and that's like that's all the fight was and that's like all it really needed to be something like that or they're on the side of volcano and there's like lava or whatever but it anyway it's just horrible well here's the big question and i wasn't leading back to episode one two and three but i will go back and check that out now that you've said that because i mean it's been so long since i've seen it here's the big question Episode seven, in your opinion, where does it rank? Does it come ahead of Empire Strikes Back, or do you <sighs> no, put it right behind? No, 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 no. <laughs> it doesn't come ahead of Empire. I think because that's the fight. That's the fight. I always okay. That's you, the lightsaber. If you're talking fight. about lightsaber fights, then absolutely Empire's first. Um, okay, I would say Ret- 
Return of the Jedi is second. And then, like, I don't... It's tough because, like, New Hope is hard because that fight was a meaningful fight. You know, it wasn't about the actual fight itself. It was about, like, what was going on with it. Mm-hmm. But I think the story they, behind it, I guess. Yeah, but, but yeah, I think they yeah. also kind of accomplished that in in Force Awakens, but also had like a cool fight. So I think I would put Force Awakens at third, and then New Hope at fourth, and just leave the prequels off mm. entirely. Yeah, for my opinion, well, I don't I'm know thinking... because sorry to interrupt. But oh like, no, you're fine. The Darth Maul fight like wasn't horrible. I think if there's any one lightsaber fight from the prequels that I think can be salvaged, I think it's the Darth Maul fight. And I tell you what, speaking of Darth Maul at the time, mind you, I thought Darth Maul was a badass-looking character, and I liked that, the the double-ended uh, lightsaber. But I was so shocked come end of that movie that he was killed off already. He was killed off, but but also I think if you watch Force Awakens and you see what they did with Kylo Ren, like, Kylo Ren is, like, a hundred times cooler. And people are going to say, well, he's, he's like, oh, I guess I won't spoil it, but, you know, he has character traits that I've noticed people not liking. Um, but I think because he was actually developed as a character and you understood, like, why he was doing it, like, Darth Maul was cool, but he was cool because he looked cool. I have a question, not to jump around on you before we move on to uh, some more gaming topics. And I want to thank fans for hanging in there, but I think it's safe to say the bulk of our fans, if not all, have at least some interest in Star Wars. Okay, so let's make a clear. We've known this for a long time. I'm an idiot. So, so if you don't want spoilers here... Uh, block out for the next, I'm going to market it, let's say two minutes, because this will take at least a couple minutes. So I'm going to jump in right now. So spoiler number two starts now. Okay, so Han is the father of Kylo Ren, right? Yes. And so Han, the, the person he had the baby with, would be Leia, right? Yes. Okay, that's easy. That's that's part one. This is what's throwing me off. P- I, this this is what I thought, and then I'm going to tell you what I saw on the internet to at least try and so I'm not a complete fool. Okay, so I get it. So you've got Han and Leia. Han's son is Kylo Ren, and then you have Rey. My thought was that Rey was also the daughter of those two, and then I speculated that okay, her it would be her uncle. I dare say her uncle would have been training her, you know, maybe as a Jedi or whatever. That would be Luke Skywalker. That was what I thought. But now I feel stupid because I'm seeing people talk online and they're saying Rey is the daughter of Luke Skywalker. Well, I mean, like, if, okay, so if you're going to say, I'm going to watch for two minutes. Um, if you're going to say that Rey is the daughter <coughs> of those certain people, why would they not mention her in the movie when they mentioned their other child? And I, I think, I think one of the reasons that, um, it was initially thought that Ray might be their daughter is because she's kind of like this pilot and she, right. You know, like a, a scrappy kind of scavenger who kind of seemed like maybe her father's kind of thing. But I definitely think Ray is, I mean, unless they are wanting it to be obvious and it's not obvious. I think Ray is definitely the daughter of that other person you just mentioned. So can I ask you this? I, I guess I need it spelled out for me. So if Luke is the father, who's the mother? Well, we got to find that out. Oh, <laughs> that's like the thing. Because, but let's be no, let's be fair here, Anthony. Like, is if you have a movie where there's gonna be this many family connections, that right. seems kind of weird. 
um, you can't have them all come up in the exact same movie. Because then it's just right, like, sure. it's way too much coincidence. <laughs> sure. Okay. It's like, oh so- my God, like everybody's related to everybody and, and, <laughs> and stuff. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say like misdirection wise, like, I mean, obviously that's what happened with Finn, right? Is we were misdirected to think Finn was one thing when he is not that thing. And another character is that thing. So mm-hmm. um, do they want us to think that Ray is a certain character's daughter? Possibly. I mean, that's, I think that's the obvious choice. Right. But we will find out. Hmm, interesting. So, and spoiler, and spoiler number two. But yeah, so interesting. I had to ask while we were on that topic. But uh, so yeah, I wanted to get a little bit of the Star Wars off my chest. Uh, many people have been talking about it, and uh, I also would agree that it was an excellent movie. Definitely check it out if, by some chance, you haven't done so already. And before we get into a little bit of gaming here. Uh, was uh, Santa Claus good to you? You do any uh, more gaming over uh, Christmas or in recent days? I w- I don't like. I think it's just because of getting prepared for Christmas and stuff. I haven't done that much gaming, but I'm hopefully this week is my kind of gaming time because I actually mm-hmm. started um, Dragon Age Inquisition last Christmas and still have not finished it. So I'm kind of thinking <laughs> that might be my my goal is to yeah to play that and then I have. Uh, I have Fallout, and I also have some various Japanese games I need to get through. I don't want to make this a huge piece, but in short, um, you having fun with Fallout, or you haven't tried I haven't even started it yet. I haven't okay. even started it, because, like, yeah, I was... Oh, because I, I had to play, like, Rise of the Tomb Raider for work, so I was playing that instead, and I need to go back and play that, too. It's just, like, there's too many games. I know. It's... it's um overdose um ODing on games and then like all those like uh visual novels came out recently for the vita and stuff and oh lord just, like so yeah way stuff. yeah way way too much um i know the answer to this but i'm going to use this as a segue have you dabbled in metal gear solid 5 the phantom pain yet i have not touched it i didn't think so nope which is totally fine but with that being said, since we last recorded, uh, and just as a refresher, it doesn't mean we're going to get back into it, so to speak, um, in depth, but we were talking about the VGAs, the PlayStation Experience, uh, which all pretty much took place the first week of December. Uh, we probably got through about 50 to 75% of those topics before we possibly dabble back on that. Um, since then, officially, uh, Kojima Productions is uh, back in business essentially and their first project is going to be alongside or in conjunction with Sony. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, that's why that's what I think everybody expected. Is like I, if there was any kind of exclusivity going on, it was going to be with Sony. You think so? Huh? Oh, you know, absolutely. I'm always the money man. Um it didn't stun me, but I would have certainly said, you know, Microsoft certainly had a shot. No, no. Kojima you really would, don't think... Kojima re- would never when, have gone with Microsoft. You Absolutely. really think yes. that with the... Uh, talking about the dollar here, I'm not talking about being a gamer. Because, I mean, you, you look at, like, Kojima, and Kojima is, like, just one of the biggest free agents you have out there. Right. He doesn't He doesn't need to, like... I mean, unless I hate to say it, like, if you look at, like, look at, like a Platinum, they kind of have to go with whoever's going to give them money for a game. You know, so if they're making an, an Xbox exclusive, it's because that's who's paying them to make a game. Right. Whereas Kojima, he he had his choice. He could go wherever he wanted to go. And 
he obviously was not going to go to Nintendo. And I think being a Japanese creator, as much as he has kind of westernized some things in terms of who he works with and stuff, um, I don't think he was ever going to go to the Western company as like his first exclusive. Now, just for clarification, I think you just answered the question right there. For clarification, first exclusive, meaning when the next one comes out the gate, he's up for grabs again, correct? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is not a he is now a Sony second party company. Right, that's not the case. It is that he is making a game console exclusivity, so it's me on PC as well. Um, the console exclusivity for the PS4, and let's be fair, you're going to keep seeing that over and over and over again at this point. I mean, I think unless they are desperate, I don't think you see any Japanese company that goes Microsoft exclusive. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, and obviously, if he was a guest on this show, you know, uh, wishful thinking, or, you know, if we had a special guest on, I would never ask such a personal question. But I'm going to ask you this question about him, uh, you know, uh, from afar. Do you think Hideo Kojima is a millionaire? Um, That's a good question. Like, I mean, Because I was thinking about that with a buddy of mine. You know, he's been in the business or with Konami for almost 30 years. We know there's a lot of those. I don't even want to use the word stereotypes, but it's more factual that, you know, with those companies, you do a job, you get paid X amount of dollars. And even if you have a mega success, it's not like you're getting, you know, a percentage of that or, you know, on the back end, uh, unless he has some unique deal later in his career due to, you know, his uh, already cemented success and pretty much guaranteed surefire hits, love them or hate them with Metal Gear. But as it stands in 2015, you know, I would, one, I would think, you know, obviously the guy's not scraping pennies together, but I wonder, you know, is he worth as much as, say, some of the top Call of Duty guys or a top, you know, a top worker at Activision or EA? Or do you think, you know, he he's not a millionaire? Well, okay, I think there's two answers to that. I think the first of all is, um, so if, just going off of what we know, and that's rumor, speculation, whatever, if, if the case was... Because one of the things brought up was that supposedly Metal Gear Solid Five was just so expensive, right? That Konami was like, "All right, we, this is enough. You know, we can't keep going with this." <clears throat> but even as far back as Metal Gear Solid Two, he was like, "I want to do other things." Right. He was like, "I want to get past Metal Gear," and obviously, <laughs> Konami for for that period of time wanted him to keep doing Metal Gear games. And seeing as how, I mean, for for not even just recent years, but years and years, like, Metal Gear was one of the biggest Konami franchises. At that point, where they still cared about games, you have to assume that they would have given him additional bonuses to keep making Metal Gear games, to keep him happy. Right, to have him go through all those sequels and spinoffs. Because if you are Konami and, you know, Hideo Kojima is your company, basically... Um, in terms of game development, then you keep that person happy and you keep that person happy with money. And so I I, I would not be shocked if he is a millionaire. You know, I don't know how much he Right, has, but, but I'm just right, I'm just trying to figure out, you know. I I have to think I have to think he is very comfortable. Um but in terms of like the Call of Duty guys and stuff, to I think the thing with that is does anybody who plays Call of Duty know their names? Like, no, I, mean, I think I, I know. I think I know where you're headed with this. A short answer, no. That's the direct answer to your question. So even if they have that talent or thing, I think the thing about Kojima is he is one of the few people where his name matters. I mean, you think about like when you go see movies, right? 
Mm-hmm. You go see a Quentin Tarantino movie because right. it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. You don't right. see it because of what it is necessarily. Like when you hear, oh, he's got a new movie, you're going to go see it no matter what it is. There are right. certain like directors like that. And I think he is in the gaming world. He is one of those few people. You know, you have like a Miyamoto or Kojima, you know, um, you have a few other names you could argue may or may not be in that position. He is one of those few people that just, you know, he has that name cloud. And right. just putting that onto a box, like, it's kind of like we were talking about Star Wars, you know. His new game with Sony, it could be horrible. But it's going to sell probably millions of copies because everybody is now curious to see what the first non-Konami free-to-do-what-he-wants Hideo Kojima game is. Right. Now, let me say this. There, I'm going to u- utilize this platform to say this here on the recording. In regards to the Kojima Productions thing, uh, there were two bullet points I wanted to get off my chest. Uh, first one being, you know, the thing is, is with, as we've seen with many Japanese or some Japanese names over the last decade, whether it be Yu Suzuki, whether it be Yuji Naka, uh, unfortunately, I named two Sega people right off the bat, um, Platinum Games, more often than not, when these people leave, they're never the same because they don't have their team with them or just things are different. Or... Now, the only, I don't want to say big, but the only big Japanese company that I would say bucked that trend is Platinum Games in terms of people who, you know, I'm looking at it from a gameplay perspective, hardcore gamers, I'm not just looking at sales. So, the, But the thing with Platinum Games is is they work because the whole team went with them. Now, the reason my, my feeling on Kojima Productions is actually a bit high is because very similar happened, is that yeah. Kojima left with the whole team. So I do feel that quality has a very, very good chance of following through this time. It's not like Kojima left with one or two other people. Uh, perfect example uh, uh, for this analogy of someone who hasn't been the same since leaving his former team, a shell of his former self, uh, Tomonobu Itagaki. I think too the, the 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 problem with this is the question of like how good was that person in the first place? You know, sure. Like okay. I mean, like you read this recent story that came out for Kojima, where the guy is saying like he had his hand in almost everything. That like he actually knows like level design, he knows gameplay design. You know, he's because I mean this is kind of the problem we're seeing with with Inafune, isn't it? Is is how, oh yes, that's true. How talented is he really, or how much was it of just right place, right time, right team. So yeah, so like if you have someone like Naka, who, I mean, no against, nothing against Naka, but if it was the case of he was a good creator when he had that strong team behind him to fill mm-hmm. in the gaps of his um, abilities, you know, uh, but then he gets off on his own, he can't do it. Going back to Star Wars for a second, George Lucas, right? When George Lucas had people to say no had people to fix things, had people to kind of like take over directing at certain points. Like that's when Star Wars was at its best. Right. As soon as he had complete and free reign with Phantom Menace, <clears throat> that's when you kind of found out, wow, you know, Lucas is not the end-all be-all creator we thought he was. He's good when he has somebody else to to bounce against and have people to kind of like keep him in check in certain ways. So I think that's the question is, is you know... You had the platinum guys who I think were all really talented and could go off on their own and and still make games of quality. You have Kojima who hopefully will be the same thing, that he knows enough about all this development stuff. You know, but I think you have had plenty of examples of people who didn't know. I mean, like, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto. If if he broke off from Nintendo, 
he'd probably still be making excellent games. Right. Because he actually seems to know top to bottom like what makes a good game. Right, and from what I hear through the rumor mill and other connections outside of the show, you know, I hear he's very, very, very much a control freak, which I'm sure working under him makes people want to jump off a cliff. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, at the end with his work and his product, you know, it kind of shows. But um, yeah, I mean, being, get- I think being control freak <coughs> isn't always a bad thing. I mean, I say that in part because I can be that way on certain things. <laughs> you know, I think it's just I think it, you have to you have to be have the ability to and willing to understand when you need to admit you don't know something or don't know the best for something and and then let somebody else step in and like help you with that but but i mean like steve jobs look at steve jobs i mean apple became what they are now because steve jobs was a complete control freak and he ran that company exactly the way he wanted to run and he was a person who knew how to do that I want to say one more thing about Miyamoto, but you mentioned Steve Jobs, and I can't miss this opportunity. Um, As everyone knows, I've drank the Kool-Aid and gone over to the dark side, and I've been an Apple fanboy the last 24 months. But I did see that Steve Jobs movie a couple months ago, which I did enjoy and will buy when it comes home. Uh, Great movie. Oh, God. After watching that Steve Jobs movie, (laughs) I said, if I was there at that time and on that team, I would have gone to Microsoft. I would have spilled all the beans on their secret projects. And I would have told Steve Jobs to F right off. Now, I'm very happy for what that company has produced in making my, or maybe ruining my life in the iPhone and the, you know, strengthening the smartphone. But wow, I mean, that guy, that piece of work, I I know I would have gone to work and knocked him out uh, a long, long time ago. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I think the problem is, you know, is that you have to have somebody you know, going back to the knowing what you're doing, you have to have somebody who really, truly knows what they're doing. And then as horrible as Steve Jobs was as a person, and I don't disagree with that, I think <clears throat> one of the good things was he was a person who knew enough to be able to kind of push you to make better products. I, I think the problem comes in is when you have somebody in that position that is a moron, or does, lacks that, that creativity, lacks that Yeah, vision. I'll give you that. I know what you mean. Sometimes people can be in that spot and do think they're doing a similar job, but they're just completely wrong. Because, I mean, I think if you look at, like, a Microsoft or you look at, like, an HP or a Dell or something like that, you've seen people in those positions um, who thought they were Steve Jobses. Right. And they weren't necessarily that, that kind of person, you know, or Yahoo or, <clears throat> you know, Amazon, wherever. So I think it's a question of, does this person... Is, are they an a-hole, but they actually do push me to to make a better product Yeah, through their, a, through their a-holeness? Or uh, are they just an a-hole and they just don't, you know, they should not be in that position because they don't know what they're doing? I know I would have smashed that monitor on his head. <laughs> <laughs> but back on the Miyamoto thing. You never would have had your iPhone, see? No, I would have told, honestly, I totally would have knocked, laid him out. <laughs> But on the Miyamoto thing, and I won't cite my source, but just to give a couple examples as to how control freaky he was, at least, was back in the day, I'll give a couple quick examples. He would do things like when looking at the product and development, obviously we're talking about the days probably of uh, 8 and 16-bit sprites, pixel art. If he didn't like the color of maybe one of the sprite's eyes or if something as minute as that, He'd have them go back and redo it. Or if he didn't like things such as like maybe the text or font or, you know, on like a menu, 
It would, you know, and the reason why this is so significant is you have to keep in mind we're not talking about the days of today where there's patches or updates. We're talking about an era where a delay with the cartridge format would set you back at least a few months. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard, admittedly, on the flip side of that coin, for as ridiculous as some of his requests may have been, people have also admitted at the end of the day, as much as they hate to say it, he was more often right than wrong. But, I mean, you have the great story of, of to go back to it, you have the great story about Steve Jobs um, calling the head of Google, tell Google that the yellow color they used in their icon on the iPhone was wrong. <laughs> What's this story? Enlighten me. Yeah, so I think I think I can't remember what exactly. I don't know if it was a, or I don't know if it was an icon or something, but it was something where the yellow color that the Google artist had used was not the proper Google yellow color. So he, this isn't even his product. Obviously, he no, noticed it's not this his from product. afar. Yes, but like nobody at Google catches this, and then Steve Jobs calls the the you know one of the main Google guys and is like, "Your yellow is wrong. You need to fix your yellow." <laughs> Did they say anything or acknowledge anything? At the I, end I, of I, that I'd story? go back and look at the whole story about like how wow. they kind of like all turned out, but no, I mean like that's kind of like I said at a certain point, you know, you kind of do need that person though because. Look at how many games come out where just you're like, how 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 is this a thing? Like, how is this right. menu this way? How is this character designed this way? Like, how did this come out of the entire team and nobody said this was, like, screwed up? Right. So. Well, so, yeah. So, since, since we last recorded, you know, Kojima's finally moved on. Uh, there was that video that uploaded. I mean, that contract must have ended in mere seconds later. Sony was right on top of it promoting it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you watch that video and, like, Andrew House is just so giddy to be able to Yeah, the there. complete, uh, literally the other end of the spectrum in terms of respect that he was getting towards the tail end of Konami versus that Sony video. It was literally night and day. Um, if I'm allowed to be a complete, uh, a, a one-dimensional a-hole on this show, in terms of <coughs> life and stress and just the toll it takes on you. I know this more firsthand with my office job and the years I've been doing it. I used to think stress was something that people used as a crutch or an excuse. Of course, I felt that way in my teens and 20s. I used to think that was people just using that as a roadblock. I will tell you in my 30s that it is very real stress. And the first thing I noticed with that Kojima video is I couldn't believe how much he had aged since the last time I had seen him. As everybody is saying it's like they they like they feel like he just looks so like haggard in that video. That's the to me when I saw it the first thing I thought was that is the work beat down that's staying up at night getting and 2 hours of sleep tops working 24/7 running around traveling uh that's what it'll do to you. Yep. So uh, hopefully uh, he can find the fountain of youth with Sony <laughs> and I wish him the best of luck and much success uh Good, bad, or ugly, uh, I will be there for his first. I have to outing. think. I have to think, no matter what, that like just getting to do something that is in Metal right. Gear, like right. is going to be just the happiest thing for him right, right now. It is you know because as as a creator, it does some creative stuff, not game making, but other stuff. Like I know that like just that change of of direction can just mean the world for your spirits and and get you actually excited and invested in doing it again. Did you feel the logo? I thought the logo was very dark and undergroundish, even almost. I don't want to say heavy metalish. It reminded me of like, I, I liked it, but I, I thought it's, it was, it's it's very Kojima. 
So you think so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, and I guess this kind of shows us like why, like, I don't know if this shows us why, but it's interesting that Kojima Productions was taken off of like all the Metal oh, Gear. That was the stuff. other point I wanted. That was the other point I wanted to make. Thank you. That was the thing. As soon as I saw that video and I saw that they were named Kojima Productions, because obviously his name is Kojima, and I, I wasn't thinking straight. That's why Konami wanted so desperately to erase his name from everything. Because you figure Kojima Productions, the company or whatever, is still going to, quote, exist. But every time you look at those old Konami products or boxes or what have you, you're going to see Kojima Productions plastered all over that. So you figure that's, if I'm thinking straight, that's why they probably wanted to get him out of there ASAP or his his name off as much stuff as possible because once that announcement was made, they knew it was going to be Kojima Productions. Still. Yeah, because they had to know that like they did not own the rights to that name. Right. And so they're like, yeah. That's it's, right. It's obvious he's going to like it, use that name once he's gone from us. So I hate to do so many wrestling analogies on this podcast, but that's kind of part of the reason, love it or hate it, when WWE gets a new talent, the first thing they do in that billion-dollar company is they give you a new name and trademark it. Right. So, you know, it's like the whole CM Punk thing or whatever. He got to maintain CM Punk. But in this instance, same thing. Konami had Kojima Productions, but he leaves and he's still Kojima Productions. So that's, that why, that's why I was Shidoshi a game fan. <laughs> he couldn't claim ownership over it. And I got to keep my name when I left. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. So very interesting times. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but by and, the way, I, I find it funny that like, so I have already pre-ordered Star Wars Force Awakens Blu-ray on, oh my on Amazon. God, I haven't even checked. Okay. I just like just I just love the fact that it's like already up. And then Sony 2 is running a thing now where you can get the digital version for like a cheaper price. But they're also like, we have no idea when this is coming, but we want to sell it to you already. You, that's that's unbelievable. Now, now, usually turnaround times present day on these movies is about four months. You think they're going to get it out uh Around April or May? That's what I mean. It's I think I think part of it's gonna depend though on like how well I was gonna say part of it's gonna depend on like how long the theatrical like how right. long it stays in theaters. But even these days, like I because it used it used to be, yeah, that like it was six months after yeah. um the theatrical run ended. At least, yeah, at least. But like you think about that and like that makes no sense, right? Because you know, I mean it would never happen, but I think part of it should be, I want to buy it now, you know? Because, right. like, I just saw it. Now I want to watch it at home. I want to keep it. So I, I think that if they could get away with it, I think companies would just, just sell it instantly the day that it comes out. Right. So I think more and more they've learned that, like, there's no reason to hold a thing back. So, so yeah, I think it depends on, like, how long it stays in theaters, you know, if it's running through February or not. But even if that, then I think they can plan for, like, a May... April May May release the latest yeah like summer maybe you know early summer summer I think that's even too late I think it has to be like spring right hmm now one of the things kind of taking a fork in the road here one of the things I wanted to do by the time we recorded this time but I did not come through on I'm very guilty I wanted to finish Life is Strange oh yeah I'm sorry so I'm about on the third act of five or third episode of five. I, I And that was my goal this weekend. And I got sidetracked doing so much holiday stuff. But that is one of the things that I do plan to accomplish between now and our next recording. 
um, it's just amazing to me how Life is Strange has kind of blown up towards the end of the year yeah. and how much it went from, um, you know, let's see how this goes or this episode wasn't as good. And then by the time it was all said and done, it's on numerous game of the year lists. I think that I think two of the biggest ones like that are, are that and Undertale as kind of two of the games that came out. And I think there was just no expectations on whatsoever. And at the end of the year, like they've both become these huge, like cult classic games. Right. Uh, I will say of what I've played so far, putting a few hours in, uh, I am enjoying it. Well, you're on, you're on, uh, you're on the chapter now episode or chapter um, that really picks things up because like one was okay. a little slow, two was more interesting, and you're starting to get a, a feel of like what the game's going to be. But but three is where things really mm. pick up, and then they don't they don't kind of stop until the very end. So mm. okay, yeah. So definitely looking forward to finishing that. And uh, I know for people that follow Molly's uh, Twitter, which is at Molly Penn, M-O-L-L-I-P-E-N, that you have broken your cardinal rule of never buying or supporting limited editions. I I have, yes. And, um, (sighs) well, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons is, is this wasn't a case of I have to buy the special edition before the entire game comes out. So kind of like know what I'm getting into. Right. And also because, you know what, they, it's not like, oh, here's a t-shirt, here's a figure, which I, I kind of would have taken a figure, I think, actually, for this game. But it's like, here's director's commentary for the game. Yes. Here's this uh, a partial soundtrack when this game's music is just so, so good. So it's actually things that I do care about. Um, But yeah, I was like, because I was talking to 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 Casey of Warning Huge Podcast fame. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to just leave it sealed. And he's like, well, if you're going to leave it sealed, you have to buy a second copy of the limited edition then to get all the goodies out of it, aren't you? Mm. And I was like, oh, crap, you're right. So I can't <laughs> keep it sealed. But I I ordered a limited edition and a regular edition copy both. I yeah, and I will say this for fans that don't know, the limited edition isn't as, quote, bad as it may sound. It's I think only thirty nine ninety nine. No, yeah, it's it's a great price. I mean, if um if you're interested in Life is Strange at all, then yeah, this this looks like to be a great way to get it because you're gonna get a lot of you're gonna get a lot of extras that actually make sense and kind of just um like ex- I don't want to say expand, but kind of just build off of what is in the game, not just giving right. you a bunch of cheap stuff to sit around. Right. So. Now, with that being said, um, before I potentially bore you, and this is not earth-shattering, um, I got the new issue of Game Informer recently, which I hadn't done many, 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 many months. Uh, I got a free upgrade at GameStop. No, that's not a... I wasn't paid to say that. <laughs> and uh, they put me on the list for free for being such a great customer. I'm such a wonderful person. And is this the uh, the <laughs> VR cover? It is. Do you do you have it? No, I don't have it. I did see the cover. Yeah. Okay. So the, the the big reason why I wanted this was because I'd read online a few days ago that they had exclusive uh, one page new information on Persona Five. Mm. So if you want, I'll read through this. Uh, if you're in the mood, yeah. And I'll skim through this. So this is from the latest issue of Game Informer with the virtual reality cover, and on page seventy-five, there's a Persona Five snippet. Uh, It says, Persona 5 is one of the most anticipated role-playing games on the horizon. 
Even though the trailers haven't revealed uh, many concrete details, the excitement isn't surprising. The Persona series' following has continued growing thanks to various spinoffs, despite the fact that fans haven't seen a mainline entry since 2008's Persona 4. Uh, P5's recent delay into 2016 is disappointing, but while we're waiting, we took the opportunity to chat with director Katsura Hashino to get the lowdown on Atlas's long-awaited new entry. It goes on to say, Persona 5 has the cast tackling issues of modern-day society and characters feeling restrained by it. Quote, Each of the characters, including the protagonist, has the mindset that, for one reason or another, they no longer have a place where they belong in society, end quote, Hashino says. When they find a way to enter a mysterious world, the characters take reforming society into their own hands. They become phantom thieves who steal malicious intent from people's hearts. In addition, every Persona user has an alter ego attached to a famous literary figure. For instance, the main characters is based on French writer Maurice Leblanc's Gentleman Thief, Arsène Lupin. The protagonist is still a representation of yourself, but you have opportunities to be more forward than in past games. Uh, it says, quote, Since he's something of a roguish anti-hero leading this story of thrilling phantom heists, we've added a nuance of brash audacity to his character, end quote, Hashino says. Like previous installments, you still play as a high school student who moves to a new place, except this time you're in an actual city instead of a fictional one. The venue is Tokyo, focusing on the Shibuya Ward, quote, the story is set in Japan, but we believe the theme is universal, end quote, Hashino says. Start of another quote. Mankind's tendency to each view the world through their own individually distorted sense of reality and its consequences on society and relationships is a subject that resonates across the world, end quote. Three other main human characters are also along for the ride. The mischievous Ryuji, sensitive artist Yusuke, and the isolated Anne, who spent time abroad in America. A black cat named Morgana serves as the group's instructor and lives with the protagonist, but also has her own secret mission. Quote, We can't go into any more detail right now, but the relationship between the protagonist and Morgana is much closer than others you've seen in previous titles, end quote, Hashino teases. So far, Persona 5 looks even bolder than past games. The series has always confronted mature topics, but this time the characters are causing a stir in society and becoming the masked vigilantes. They aren't reacting to events, they're causing them. As Hashino puts it, quote, Picaresque heroes are fun, and you might enjoy their exploits or admire them in a work of fiction. But whether you'd actually want to be like them is a whole different story, isn't it? And that piece was written by Kimberly Wallace. I know her. Oh, yeah? Yep. Nice person? Um, yeah, from what I've hung out with her. Yeah. Oh, cool. It says, uh, the last snippet here, it's on a sidebar to wrap this up. It says, the palace. Like Persona 3's Tartarus and Persona 4's TV, main characters enter a different world via the palace, which is a place that exists in people's hearts. Quote, the characters' mischievous sides suppressed during their day-to-day -day school life are released and visualized in the palace as their respective phantom thief guises. 
says director Katsura Hashino. Likewise, the persona's appearance reflects the corresponding team member's personality. So, and you know, like something that, like, hearing you read that, like, I hadn't realized I should have, but I hadn't realized it's this is actually going to be the biggest span of time between chapters. Because I mean, because previously, um, Persona Two: Eternal Punishment was two thousand, and then Persona Three was two thousand six. So I mean, at that point, like, you know, a six-year span felt like a really long time. But that's partially par- par- because, like, there was just no Persona existing period in those six years. You got it. I, I can't believe it because you're right. On paper, it's the longest gap. But yeah, kind but now of it's eight the, years. Kind of what the article alludes to is, you know, the only reason I feel it doesn't feel quite as long is because of all the other per- Shin Megami Tensei games we've played. Yeah, we, we had Persona 4 Golden. We had Persona 4 Arena, Arena mm-hmm. Ultimax. Um, Dancing uh, All Night. Dancing All Night. Persona the Q. One- you had the one uh, from Saturn that got on 3DS that we had never gotten before. Well, that wasn't Persona, though. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. But you know what I mean? There's been so many so many in that universe or whatever you want to call it in the last five to seven years. It's It's been overwhelming. Yeah. So like I said, I, I guess I hadn't realized that it was going to be eight years between the I two I can't chapters. believe it. And it's still slated, for those who don't know, not only is it uh, PlayStation 4, but it's still PlayStation 3 as well. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, to, but yeah, to be fair, like, it was one of the last PS2 games, and now we're, what, right. three years into the PS4, and the next chapter is coming out, so. Yeah, it's amazing. PS3, like, I feel like that whole PS3, Xbox 360 era was just so horrible for Japanese developers. Yeah, well, it's, you know, what is it? We've said it before. PlayStation 2 is probably the last, excuse me, great, uh, highly successful Japanese console and games and, you know, from the East. Uh, PlayStation 3 had its moments, but um, yeah, that really was the turning point and 360 got on top uh, firmly. Uh, You know, that was kind of the Call of Duty system. It's, although it is ironic (laughs) right now, Sony um, leading the race rather strongly. Uh, One of the numbers I had written down, and this is from a month or so ago, is globally PlayStation 4 has now surpassed 30 million units, and it's currently still on track, outpacing that of PlayStation 2, which is is mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. But I mean, so like you look at like PS4, and it seems like Japanese companies are coming back. We're getting a lot more announcements. We're getting a lot more games coming. Mm -hmm. Something about that just that last generation it seemed like it was just so tough for japanese devs to like kind of find their footing in that era and i'm going to do a cheap little plug here and the reason is is i'm going to tie it back to where you're seeing japanese kind of getting their footing now i haven't read this article uh, but i believe it's in the recently released the untold history of japanese game developers volume two which came out in november you can get it on amazon.com it's hovered around 30 35 bucks uh, it's the second installment to the, obviously, the first untold history of Japanese games, which came out summer of 2014. An absolutely amazing book. The first book clocked in at about 530 pages. The second one coming in at uh, just under 400. What is, what, what is his last name? Uh, John Sitspaniak. <laughs> I always, my, like, it's, it's, <laughs> I always screw his last name up. And, like, he's even, like, written into podcasts before that I've been on try to explain it to me and i keep forgetting because like I just, <laughs> that is a name i cannot handle for right. some reason. it's unbelievable but uh the the books are fantastic and i believe in the second volume of when i was flipping through it towards the back there was an actual article on how the unreal engine is kind of trying to it's now closing that gap and giving more of equal footing 
Well, that was part uh, of the problem, though, was that the fact that, like, um, at least I was told, story I heard was that the Unreal Engine, whatever the generation was from last last generation consoles, whatever that generation of Unreal was, did that I think it was three. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it was three. Um, that the Japanese documentation was just so horrible that devs like didn't know how to use it. Right. So they had to like build their own engines to use like other engines and stuff. And so that, that's why like a lot of Western companies were making all these games on Unreal and Japanese devs just couldn't get it done because like their documentation was just so poor. Mm. Well, well, I mean, it's exciting. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for that market strengthening and seeing some more stuff from them, even if they are digital only or a little bit more on the indie side. I do welcome it. Uh, it is nice to play something aside from these major AAA Hollywood multi-million dollar epics, uh, where at the end of the day, not only is it nice to have something a little different, but something just more focusing on core gameplay and having fun. Yeah, and just like you know, I said, I'm I'm just so happy to be very excited about Japanese gaming again. Like, I mean, to have enough games to be excited about, you know, and not just the little stuff, but like the bigger projects and everything. So, um, speaking of Japanese, and maybe a little bit more on the obscure end, one of the gifts I got for Christmas, I'll give a big thank you to Neil, uh, Double Plus Good Games co-host, uh, a man I'm very familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have um, I've heard that. Yes. Yeah. I picked up um, the extravagantly, expensively priced Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors for PlayStation 4 the other day. Which I did not realize how expensive it was until you told me. Very expensive. $59.99. I'm not proud of that, but uh, what made me pull the trigger on it was uh, Santa Claus, so it didn't cost me anything. Uh, Plus, I had a 20% off coupon, uh, so I picked it up for about $48, which is still high. Uh, it clocks in at under two gigs to download. So if you're someone out there who's still got a stock hard drive like me uh, and you're worried about space, Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors comes in at about 1.8 gigs. It's a quick download. Uh, my overall first impressions, uh, I am pleased with it. I feel from the era of 80s and 90s shooters, uh, whereas in the 90s you had that next generation of shooter in like Einhander, G. Darius, even Thunder Force 5 to an extent, uh, many import-only Saturn shooters, uh, you, you know, everything from Layer Section to Ray Storm. There's a lot of great stuff there. So much stuff back then, yeah. I feel like in the 2000s there have, there have been a lot of shooters still, primarily on the underground scene, but they're either one bullet hell shooters, which... Uh, you know, I'm not frowning upon, but, you know, I felt like I got my fix with that with Mars Matrix, which ironically was not only one of the first, and I haven't forgotten about Cave, but Mars Matrix, I still kind of felt like um, that was still kind of up there, and yeah. that was one of the first ones I got on Dreamcast. I like that. You know, um, I felt like there was a lot of copycats. The last bullet hell shooter I picked up was by Neo Geo Dev Team, um, and I can picture it in my head, and I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Oh, was, um, mm. Fast Striker. Yes. yes I think that's what so outside of that and excluding those type of shooters, I feel any other more traditional style shooter we've gotten has, in my opinion, either been kind of flat, you know, the background, you know, you're getting some new cool effects, but you're not maybe getting the layers and layers of background and care. You're getting a lot more boss fight encounters, which always reminds me of Treasure. And I always give Treasure an excuse because I feel that's their thing. Mm-hmm. So when other people try to copy that, you know, I, I, I kind of ding them. So with all that being said, I would put initial impressions of Darius Burst. 
I wouldn't put it with the best of the best, but for what we've gotten in recent years, it's definitely worth a look. It has a nice look. There is some of it's very clean. Um, it is the design is very nice. Some of the backgrounds may not be as memorable as some of the ones from G Darius or Darius Gaiden, but I would say it's worthy. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's a worthy entry. Furthermore, arcade mode running it on a standard HD TV, you're going to get a really squashed down ratio. But the real meat of the package, the purpose for having this is the uh, Chronicle Saviors mode, which I don't fully understand yet, but it's more in depth. Now, there's some repetition in terms of bosses and areas, but this is the one where there's like almost like a, a map, like a solar system map. Yeah. And, and it seems to kind of keep going and going. I know there's a randomization element to it as well. So bottom line, that mode keeps it to where you're not going to go through it in one sitting. And the aspect ratio has been adjusted for standard television. So you're essentially getting full screen. Uh, also, so that's on PlayStation 4. Also for the really hardcore out there, this is also available on Steam. And on this, the Steam version is the only one that allows to hook up two monitors side by side which comes the closest to replicating the triple monitor arcade setup. Uh, furthermore, for listeners and Vita fans, the only physical version of this game that will be available come January 14th, 2016 is on the Japanese Vita. Mm, uh, for, interesting. For, for reasons unbeknownst to me in regards to PlayStation 4s right now, the only way to get it is digitally downloaded. There will not be a physical disc version. Interesting. So, in short... Darius Burst for hardcore fans, definitely worth a look. I'd say it's a worthy entry. It's not disappointing. Would I put it up there with G. Darius or Darius Gaiden? Um, I, I've got to put a little bit more time. You, I, <clears throat> I might have said it on this podcast. I can't remember if it was this or on another show in the past. The most memorable moment for the Darius series for me personally was the second area in G. Darius on PlayStation 1. That was Not only was that the most memorable Darius moment that was like one of the best levels the battleship the huge battleship that scrolls and then at the end you realize then it moves and jumps into the background and then it turns into the main fish boss itself which ironically is in the is in um Darius Burst Chronicles but it's but it's portrayed differently it's it's not a stretching level where it's the battleship and boss but that mm-hmm. was that was amazing <clears throat> um but yeah so I wanted to get that out there it's it's so funny to think back. I mean, cause I think pe- younger listeners, if we have them out there, like can't comprehend how popular these kind of shooters were at a certain point. I I mean, like it's so weird to think that like this was a gigantic genre in gaming for for a while, right? Because like now, like you feel like they're just so niche and, right. and so like a very select core group of people. But I mean, you go back to like. You know, Super NES and Genesis, there were just tons and tons of shooters out there. I totally agree. It's, you know, what was once mainstream and kind of the benchmark uh, is now now a rarity to an extent. And uh, also, this just hit me as I'm talking out loud. Another thing that has to be noted, speaking of Darius and the series Zuntada, and uh, they did get, the soundtrack is very good. And I believe they did get many of the members back to do the soundtrack on this. Uh, there's an article online. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up here. Hopefully as I'm, here we go. 
uh, how Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors resurrects an arcade legend. So if you go to Eurogamer.net, it's from a few weeks ago, you'll see a, a big article and interview in regards to this, the whole ride, so to speak, how it got to where it is today. Um, so the project was being worked on on and off between arcade version, home, handheld, etc., for the better part of six to eight years. Hmm. So it became a reality, got greenlit, and then now in twenty end of 2015, uh, it's even on our shores. I'm really shocked, though. I mean, for Japan, I'm really shocked there's no physical PS4 version. I honestly can't believe it. That's I'm, for real. I can't crazy. believe it either. I cannot believe that either. Uh, speaking of uh, other titles, while not niche or unique, by the time we meet again on the next show, um, we still have some time here today. <clears throat> Probably about another 20, 30 minutes for listeners here before we wrap up episode 13. I did place an order because I never have enough games. Um, I ordered the physical disc version of Gravity Days for I, PS4. I did too. But I just did stay. Okay, now when did you do this, if you don't mind me asking? Um, well, let me look. Go, go, go ahead and go ahead. And then I'll tell you the reason, and uh, Molly can listen to this as I say this aloud. So I was going to be patient and wait for the American release in February for twenty nine ninety nine. If you go to Amazon.com, you'll see it up for pre-order for 30 bucks, and it seems to be physical disc, whereas originally it was announced as digital only, and then yes. after a month, Sony announced the disc version would come. The only reason I got a little bit worried about it, I'm sure it's for nothing, is GameStop, for example, and elsewhere, I don't see it listed. And that game is supposed to be out in about a month. I don't know if it's going to be um, Amazon exclusive. That's what I was trying to figure out. So, um, so I ordered while... it on uh, November 14th. Oh, so you have it already. I don't have the game already. Okay, okay, okay. No, so I, you... I, I pre-ordered on November, on November okay. 14th. Okay, for Amazon? Yes. Okay. Oh, I I'm sorry, the... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, to be clear... I pre-ordered the American physical version of the game. Okay. Which is not out yet. The the okay. Japanese version is out now. Yeah, so what I did is I did the Asian version. Which okay, yeah. Is, it's supposed to have English and Chinese subtitles. Yes. So we'll find out. So I'll probably get that this upcoming week right around New Year's. Um, so I'll be able to talk about that the next time we come back. Uh, interested to give that a shot. And then I'm also very interested with Molly when she gets her copy come February to see uh, to see if it's pretty much the exact same thing or if it comes to fruition or whatever the deal is. Yeah, I guess for me, because I mean, like, I don't really do physical very often, but this was like a case where they like, you know, they weren't going to do the physical and then they were going to do the physical. So I kind of like wanted to help support it. And also just that's one of the few games that I think I would like to have a physical backup copy um, right so yeah so ours is coming out february 2nd yeah not very far i feel like january and february to an extent is loaded uh february not only or excuse me january not only do we have life is strange on the 19th of january on the same day we have the resident evil hd remaster collection coming on disc for 40 bucks which includes resident evil and zero uh, I will also go on record saying that while I am interested and I will pick that up, I feel that the box art for that is one of the laziest box arts I've seen in recent memory, and it upsets me. What was that for? Uh, Resident Evil HD Remaster Collection. Oh, I guess I haven't seen that. All they did is essentially take, they did that lazy way out, and they took like the two covers and then just boxed them and put them on the, like they, uh, it's almost as bad mm. as the Fighter's Edge ripped page. <laughs> 
you know. Hopefully, maybe what I saw, I'm going to lie to myself and tell myself it was a placeholder. Maybe there'll be some bad. It probably or, won't be a placeholder. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. Though. Thank you for comforting me. But no, I mean, because like, uh, God, like the, the beginning months of next year are going to be just packed with stuff. It is, and then um, uh, what else? There was that. Um, and you know you got to cut. You can't get everything. But also in January for Nintendo fans on 3DS, there is Mario and Luigi Paper Jam. Mm-hmm. And then February's got a lot. That Gravity Rush, uh, while not Japanese centric or Japanese, you got Far Cry Primal. I feel like that's a huge release. You've got Mega Man Legacy Collection, um, which I'm I'm I Street Fighter Five. I don't know if I want to get the Mega Man collection or not. Like, I really appreciate all the work they put into it. Right. But I just, like, how many times can I buy those same games? <laughs> I just don't know. Speaking of Mega Man, that's at the end of February. The start of February, if it doesn't get delayed again, is Mighty Number no. 9, finally. I'm not excited at all. <laughs> not one bit. Street Fighter Five, very, very, very excited. SF5, 216? Yep. I mean, how many games did we just rattle off? At least five. Mm-hmm. At least five titles, so it's uh, loaded uh, right off right off the bat. So uh, before we get off the shooter topic, and I'm not going to dissect it as much as I just did Darius Burst. I'll get into it next time. Uh, for PlayStation 4 Digital, and I might have said this earlier on the recording, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Please do check out Astebreed. That's A-S-T-E-B-R-E-E-D. It's about 20 bucks. PlayStation 4. It's also available on PC download. A, that would be a horizontal mech-based shooter. And that's I think that's from um, Playism, I think, is the publisher on that. You might be right. Yeah. So that was uh, another one definitely worth uh, taking a look. So I feel like the PS4 has gotten a couple great shooters in recent memory. Uh, I'm on the fence as to whether or not I want to pre-order the Japanese version of Raiden 5 for Xbox One exclusive. There's also, uh, I think, Jamestown is currently on sale. Oh, that's good. I have PS4. that on. It's, it's very good. So I think they're going to sell for pretty cheap right now. Yep. But uh, now I don't want to rush this. We got about 10 minutes here. I'm going to do some plugs and then I'll give uh, Molly the podium, so to speak. Another game I just picked up. It was on sale today, digitally on 3DS. I finally got Shovel Knight. Mm. I've not heard that. I heard a lot about it. Got a lot of great reviews. And I was like, you know what? Do I really need this? Uh, I actually saw a physical version in store recently for PlayStation 4, and it actually has very nice cover art, in my opinion. You can get the physical disc version for about 25 bucks. It's pretty much on every console known to man. But I picked up the 3DS one today, $9.99, normally $15. I've done the first couple areas already, put about an hour into it. I got to tell you, old school gamers, it's worth it. It's worth it. The attack mechanism, the way your character moves, is kind of like DuckTales. But the game itself reminds me not only of DuckTales, but reminds me more of Castlevania and Mega Man, uh, more Castlevania. The map world, the screen setup is akin to Super Mario in terms of the way you move from one area to the next on that overhead overworld. Um, excellent. Uh, you know, it's got the classic chiptune style soundtrack. It's got some nice sprite work. It's one of those games you really don't appreciate until you're playing it firsthand. Because if you look at shots like I do, it's one of those things where I was on the fence and I've seen this thing a million times. But I have to tell you, playing it firsthand, it is a thumbs up. Uh, after I was done with that on my 3DS today, which I hadn't turned on in a while, I did one of Molly's favorite pastimes. And I was on the badge collector. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I hate that thing so much. Can I brag? 
Sure. I'm the master at that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel bad for you because I know you wanted some of these Splatoon characters, which I believe I missed out on because a lot of the stuff on that store is timed. buried. Yeah. I think, uh, the best, yeah. I think the best thing right now, like if you go, I mean, obviously people listening to this can't go on there and see it, but you might know what I'm talking about. There's, as of right now when we're t- recording this, there is a uh, a Pokemon one mm-hmm. where there's a few Pokemon on the bottom and then like 10 or 12 Magikarp, like all on top oh, of them. I, yeah, I know exactly the one. I didn't and do I'm that like, one that today. Is so, I, that is just like them sticking like their middle fingers up with their fans. <laughs> I cleaned out, I'll brag, I spent $2 today, so I got eight tries, and I wiped out the Super Famicom. Uh, yeah, that's 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 one of the times I had to spend my money, because I wanted those like those like retro, like yeah. 16-bit pixel versions, all that stuff. Yep. I was like, oh, yeah. I really Did you do those. that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wiped that one out, and I wiped out all the Game Boy ones but one. Yeah, I'm missing one Game Boy, yeah. Yeah, so you and I must be on the same page. Can I guess, was it like the original-looking model? It's original model with like the the power, yeah button because there's the one that doesn't have that. I mean, not the power button, the power light. There's one that doesn't have the light and one that does have the light. I think you and I are in the exact same page. Yeah. So because uh, I got all the controllers, which yeah. aren't aren't I don't know if they're on up right now or not. I don't think I saw that. But wait, not all the controllers, but there were a bunch of controllers, and then they're like, uh, no, I'm sorry, the cartridges. There's the cartridges, and then we talking Super Famicom. I'm trying to think. No, because there's also Famicom ones too. Oh, I missed. I think I missed. Yeah, that. I have uh, I have Famicom it. cartridges, and then I have there's dang. like yeah, because there's like two different Famicom controllers. I have I'm missing one of the two controllers. Mm. Well, we have to make a deal, you and I. Uh, if we're on 3ds, uh, you know, separate times. If they put retro stuff up, and we happen to be in that store, we got to text each other because okay. uh, I just I only knew you know that that'll be kind of the rule. If it's something like really hardcore, something we know we'd be into, then I'll text you and vice versa. Because I logged in today, I hadn't been on in a couple weeks. Oh, no, I looked at it I look at it every single day. <laughs> That's how sad I am at this point. I hate myself so much for it, but I go on there every single day, and I hope that I get a free play because, you know, surprise, surprise, they, they, you know, like, who would think of giving you a free play every single day to keep right. coming back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to, oh, it, it's so horrible. See, for me, it feels like I always get a free play, but that's only because I'm on, like, twice a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. I just like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand how, I mean, if you play any other free-to-play game, <laughs> any other free-to-play game in existence, they will at least let you play the game properly for a little bit, like, every day. There, right. there are mechanisms to do that. And then in this stupid thing, like, okay, you get five free tries on the practice one, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to get a free play. And then, like, that stupid rabbit that I want to actually just yeah, strangle. I'm not a big fan of the rabbit either. He'll like run you through all these commercials for the Nintendo games, and then you may or may not get a free play. <laughs> right. It's just oh, it's so horrible. Right. Yeah. So that was my uh, 3ds gaming experience for today. Uh, before I let Molly wrap up, if you don't mind, I'm not trying to rush you, but um, only I've got I've got a big hot date with Quentin Tarantino's new movie. Yes coming up here but um real quick we haven't done the plugs in a while uh don't forget to check out radio.morningproject.com where we still have up the gvgp dlc pack three with the one and only terry wolfinger also uh, check out the latest 
famous Monsters magazine with the Star Wars Episode 7 cover, beautifully done by Terry Wolfinger. Also, uh, through Diamond Distribution exclusively, there is an awesome Flash Gordon cover he's done. Also at uh, radio.morningproject.com, don't forget to check out the Niches podcast, Take 17, as well as our most recent main canon recording of video game podcast on GameFan 2.0 and TGS. Uh, with that being said, for those with a little bit more ADD, uh, check us out on Twitter. You can find myself at 24BitAJE, the number two, the number four. Check out Molly Penn, M-O-L-L-I-P-E-N, and the general feed for Morning Radio at M-O-R-N-R-A-D. I.O. So, um, as we start to wind down here on generic video Go game harass podcast. the lady that has morning. Like, there's a lady that has, that has the... I want morning so bad, but there's, like, I'll say yeah. morning. And... Oh, wait, maybe... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Morning radio. Don't harass morning. Morning radio. Uh, her, last, her last tweet was November 24th, 2009. Unbelievable. Like, at a certain point, I think, like... 11 tweets total. I think it's an important, like, if you don't use your Twitter account in a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, like, they should give up that name. Because there are yeah. people that sit on these well, names for, like, forever. I mean, like, if, if, you know, I know people will say, well, the URLs are the same way, but you pay for URLs. Right, or at least, in all fairness, before they just automatically shut it down, be fair, and at least maybe send that person a notification or an update, like, hey, this is your final shot. Yeah. You know, if you're still interested in this, it's now or never. And then uh, one last plug, not to be rude and cut you off, one last plug I wanted to get in is don't forget to check out EGMnow.com where you can check out EGM presenting the best of 2015 where Molly also has a piece up on her some of her best picks and insights for this past year in review. Yeah, like uh, all of our editors did their own list <laughs> and then starting today, um, our actual top 25 is going up. Oh, okay. To, to, today are the first five entries in that list. Oh, that'll be fun. So, so looking good. So, um, I want to thank everyone for their patience. I want to thank Molly once again for her time, uh, as always, helping with the tech end of things, the editing, the slicing, the dicing, the bandwidth, the patience. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, as as we here at Generic Video Game Podcast are getting ready to close out the year. And we will be back sooner than later, hopefully uh, sharper, smarter, funnier, healthier. Maybe so, not funnier, uh, but <laughs> the rest at least, possibly. So, yeah. So, you have any uh, final words here for fans, listeners, uh, from you to them as 2015 <sighs> comes to an end? Go, go see Star Wars. Um, Ray is awesome. Uh, play, play video games. Play Life is Strange. It's not on sale anymore, but um, yeah, play that. Hopefully your Steam account didn't get hacked too hard. <laughs> That's it, I think. And real quick, before on the last note here, before, uh, talking about my waifu, Ray, uh, if you want to be $300 poorer. Oh, God, don't, don't, no. Because you, are you familiar with this? So I have never, I have never bought a Hot Toys. <laughs> I am sitting here like having to... <laughs> talk myself out of buying this is my first so, one for 289.99 you can get ray and bb8 a absolutely stunning beautiful gorgeous looking model slash statue hitting late next summer because you can get her by herself for like 239 i think I, but you obviously haven't seen that you obviously can't just buy her herself you have to buy her yes. and bb8 and oh 
God, I know. So for those with their 2016 resolutions of being smarter with their money, uh, you will want to make that pre-order between now and the next 48 hours or so. Because once January 1 hits, I don't think you want to start $300 down on your 2016 Is that budget. how I excuse it? Yeah, that's so you, your 2016 budget resolutions, if you're going to do anything crazy like that, you've got a couple days left. So I don't, I, I can't like... I can't justify three hundred dollars. That's a lot, honestly. Figure. It's a lot. If but, it was, oh I my might god, even, it's so I, awesome. If it was like one fifty, I'd probably be dumb enough to to do it. But like but hot, three, hot toys, like I mean, if you, if you want to talk about the one company where their action figures are potentially like worth the price they're charging right. for them, like right, those those guys, I don't know how they're doing it, but they put together some just yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. It's amazing. Those damn Koreans. <laughs> but once again uh for molly and myself uh thank you listeners and we'll be back here with generic video game podcast episode 14 hopefully in a couple weeks and until then everyone have a wonderful new year <laughs>